please hit like, share, and subscribe. Now enjoy the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Good evening, Jim. Good evening, David. We got a lot to talk about tonight, and then very li- and then very little to talk about tonight. So it just depends on how you're looking at it. So we got a we got a whole range of topics. Uh, we're going to talk about um, playing outside scales theory, but not theory. Like we're not going to talk about the the nitty gritty of it so much as like the playing approach and yep. um, its effect on creativity, and then. Uh, yep. We're going to talk about uh, buy, selling, and trading tonight uh, in, in light of, you know, Black Friday next week, which I'm going to try right. to get this episode out. I'd like to get three episodes out in the week. I'm going to have time off this week, so. Um, I've actually got time off. This yeah. is good. This is a great week. Yeah. So, I think I have a two-day week. Two all and right. So, uh, and then we both have a gig that we, we do regularly, so we'll have a gig report. That's the thing. That's how yep. it happens. Uh, if it's the first time watching us, if you like it, don't forget to like and subscribe. You can look down below. There's a little bell notification for icons. You can click that guy. Um, if you're on YouTube and if you're on a podcast app, just subscribe, follow along. Uh, you know, check us out every once in a while. You don't have to listen to every episode, but uh, you know, sometimes we're sometimes we're, sometimes we're worth listening Love. to. Sometimes we're not. It's just that's just the way it is. Um, Most of the time, not. But that's okay. Uh, I want to apologize in advance. Jim's audio is a little garbled tonight, um, off and on, probably because we're just having some bandwidth issues. Uh, we do the show via Discord, and it's a busy time of year. So, um, anyway, so uh, what's new? Jim and I have embarked on a musical journey together, and we have both purchased these guys, which this is the right. um, Orange Burst K Line from or, you know, from K Line. It's the Orange Burst Overdrive, and if um, it may not be readily apparent what this pedal actually is to you, but it has a gain of volume and a treble bass control, much like another pedal called a BB preamp, um, which happens to be a personal favorite of mine. Um, so Jim and I are actually going to shoot these out. We're going to talk about maybe on the next episode or two what these things are like. And I don't want to give too much away, but I'll, I'll tantalize the audience a bit. Um, I opened mine up. I, I want to talk about build quality just for a second. These are $20. Okay, if you get them yeah, on a deal, just, we paid twenty bucks just, for these. Yeah, we paid. Yeah, even with tax and, um, of course, no shipping, but it was just over twenty bucks. So I think you would think one would think for twenty dollars you would get a plastic housing like a Behringer pedal. Um, these are actually metal, right? They're not actually a Hammond enclosure size. It looks like it. They're slightly larger. Um, the screws, the machine screws, are slightly smaller. Uh, which is like, you know, well, smaller screws are cheaper by the pound, you know, kind of thing. Right, right. Um, if you look at the the powder coating, this is what I wanted. To, these are the two things I wanted to talk about. And you'll see this immediately when you get yours, I'm sure. Where they where they screwed the screws into the thing, they used a machine. And it's clear it just chewed right through the paint. Um, these are very sloppily powder coated. The back panel doesn't actually match the top of the pedal housing at all, which is fine. 
Um, but the one thing I really wanted to comment on, this is the tantalizing thing. I actually took mine apart. I opened it up because um, I wanted to see how close the circuit was and couldn't really see much because I, I didn't take the pedal completely apart to get because they flipped the board and it's upside down. They did that on purpose. Right. You know damn well they did that on purpose because they don't want people looking at the circuit and going, that's a BB preamp clone. Um, but it so it, it's kind of hilarious and it's actually kind of shocking because I thought naturally that this would be a surface mount circuit inside, right? Because surface mounts cheap for them to do. Um, but I opened this guy up, Jim, and it's it's discrete through whole components. And, no. Oh no, it is, and it no. looks like a, like a, like a pretty That's amateur awesome. layout board, which is okay. Right, right. It's like more like yeah. a boutique pedal in that way. But the funny part was that whoever clipped the leads for every component they got, they didn't make, take any effort to get close to the board at all. So you could see like the solder pad and then this like giant lead like sticking out and there are some places where it's like almost touching another pad <laughs> i think this is great i think it's great i really do i i know you think i'm kidding but i think it's great um uh, I, for, uh, a lot of people you know when they look at these things they look at this build quality at 20 bucks right i'd rather they saved a little money doing that like, okay, we didn't get as close. We didn't have the guy spend more time or right. get more time clipping the thing. That's cool. Rather than, uh, okay, we put it into a machine, and I get what I think is $20. At least somebody put the time into it. I'm, I'm I, cool with that. I actually think before the episode next week, I will completely disassemble mine. I yeah. want to see what the chips are on the board. Because the original, the the BB preamp itself has has the uh, JRC forty eight eighty five chip in it, which is the okay. same. It's the same chip from the. It's the famous tube screamer chip. Okay. Right. Right. Um, and it's got a pair of them, and then there's also you know some transistors in the circuit as well. But I just wanted to see if it has the same op amps because it would be really interesting if they actually sourced the op amps from the original units. I yeah. I highly suspect they did not. But it's still interesting to know. Um, I actually want to get so now that we've now that we've messed with one of these and what well, and Jim yours is coming. I actually we're, we're 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 looking at a lot of other budget pedals and kind of thinking like, you know, there's a ton of brands for like twenty or thirty bucks that we can buy and look at and examine, right. um, and either give away or resell for the show um, to people you know, with our two cents attached. Um, yeah. So that's something that that's something we will have to look at long-term, but it'll, it'll be good for the channel. It'll be good for the show. Um, I know a lot of our show listeners are very interested in the inexpensive side of the market. I do think there are definitely times, and I'll say this preemptively, there are definitely times where it makes more sense to go to the middle or the high-end stuff, but there are definitely times where the cheap stuff is just enough, and it's, if you're only going to use it for a couple gigs, you know, it makes sense. Yeah. Just like a Behr the Behringer oh. PA I bought, that battery PA. It's a classic example. I could have bought the Bose one at $600, but I've used the Behringer one twice in two years. What? And, like, it's been fine for, for using it twice. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Honestly, yeah. I mean, if looking at what you're talking about right now, if you're just going to use it every now and again, it's going to be at home or... Um, or you, you know, have a very specific use for it. open mic things or whatever, and it's not going to get literally stomped on. What's the big deal? Right. And, I, and 
And I want to talk a little bit about that. I haven't seen it yet. You said that it might be power coated or it might be painted. Um, yeah, I can't tell because, and the reason I bring it up is because you can actually see where the pedal, like the back plate, the edges, you can see that the, um, that they're like, there's like overspray, not overspray, but like drips on the, right. on the metal, which, which suggests it wasn't. Which means they might just be, right, they're painting it or dipping it. Right. Um, which for me, I mean, I think we get, um, we could talk more about this later, but. And we get hung up sometimes, not you and I, but as a culture. Um, in uh, This thing has got to look this good. And a lot of sales are based on, we've talked about this before, about how something looks, you know, how pretty is it. Sure. And if this thing works well and it sounds okay for $20, I mean... Even if it was really for your board, on a board, you were touring, I don't care if you're touring the world, how many people look at your board? I think that, you know? I think the real fascination with the low end of the market, and I don't want to mm -hmm. dig too deep in this because we're do buy, sell, trade later, but um, yep. I think the Good real time. fascination with the low end of the market is like, what does 20 bucks get me? Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, does it, is it, you know, what level is 20 bucks? Do you know what I mean? Like people are people are curious. They don't know what that what what twenty dollars buys them, and I think that's part of the reason why there's so much excitement over it. And I also think that the low end of the market obviously has a bigger pool to jump into, because so I've seen I've seen other um, YouTube reviewers. Uh, Nick in the states comes to comes to mind. Talked about um, the reason he kept doing the inexpensive you know Chinese guitars was because it made sense numbers-wise for the channel itself. He's like, I'd buy a Gibson, and I'd review it on the channel, and nobody would watch it. And it's right. just because, what can people afford, right? Um, well, yeah, not everybody can be a trogly. Not everybody can bring in a $20,000 guitar and get, you know, 10,000 views or whatever he gets on those things. Right. Um, well, and he's also most, kind of seen as an authority on it now at this point because he's bought so much like weird, you know, boutique, yeah, I, I mean, you know, name brand stuff. Yeah. For me, Chogley is an authority for a lot of people. I mean, because if there's anybody that's probably seen other than a Joe Bonamassa or something like that, that, that people can relate to. It's probably Charlie. Yeah, I mean, and even Norm from Norm with rare, Norm's Rare Guitars is kind of like he's a dealer. You right. know what I mean? And so when you look at it, Charlie's the one guy I think when it comes to these these people like Norm. Um, Norm is somebody that's closer to my age. He's actually a little older than I am. So. Norm isn't as approachable, I don't think, for some of these younger folks as a trogly is. So if I was in my late 20s to early 40s, I'd probably be closer to talking to Trogley, um than I would be talking to, uh, and I think his name is Austin, um, uh, I than talking to... Uh, I, honestly, if you're in your 20s and 30s, you're not even looking at this stuff because you can't afford vintage. Um, that's just my interpretation from walking around with my buddies, unless you're like fascinated with it, but you wouldn't be talking to these people cause you ain't buying one. You know that. And that's, well, I think there are, 
there's fast. That's what I was about to say. There's a fascination with it. I, I think that somebody who who is in their twenties and, and early thirties, some of these people do have money. I mean, let's face it, there are people that have money, and yeah. there's a lot. Of, yeah, but you can go look them. at the charts; they but, don't have much. <laughs> there's right. not many of them, <laughs> right? But to to um, to that end, um, what I what I was saying is, if somebody's going to talk to uh, uh, Trogley, they don't have to feel like they're buyer. Sure. If they're talking to Norm or they're talking to cars, right. they're talking to someone like that. They they probably feel like they should have a, they should have the money or at least the credit in their pocket. Where oh, I, don't know. To, <laughs> I mean, I agree. To, I agree, but I just know with dealer relationships, there are plenty of people that kick the tires on shit they're never going to be able to buy. <laughs> that that does happen I mean, uh, <laughs> in a literal sense. Um, but I, I could go. I, could, I should probably do a separate thing for that, but I was more um, of a joke than uh, anything. I wasn't. I wasn't uh, trying to do no, the conversation. No, I, I got a, a, a thing that happened to my son recently with a Ford that he was a Mustang that he was going to buy oh, recently. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was funny, but, and uh, we can talk more about it when we get to the buy sell trade thing. So, well, I'll I'll drop this for now. But I'm just saying that 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 twenty dollar thing. I think one of the things that the that the YouTube community, um, and I almost had a whole separate topic for it. And that is, has YouTube become the new fake news? And I don't mean in the in the, the I'm not doing the political fake news thing. That's not what I'm getting into. What I mean is, there's this whole um, uh, thing about well, whoa, there was something we need to talk about though that comes along with that. Now we can do as a bonus. List. Yeah, we can do it as a bonus topic. Yeah, we should we'll talk about. Later. We should that can yeah. fit into buy sell trade actually. Maybe That's we'll right. We'll talk it on in there. Um, I got to bring that up, but um, uh, so what I was saying is, if you have these uh, these people that are constantly telling you that this is this is great, this is great, this is great, eventually you think that's great. Yeah, and I, you know, there's an old there's an old saying about people who conceded. I'm not conceded. I'm convinced. If enough people tell you how great you are, you're going to think you're great. And if some, if enough people tell you that this thing is great, whether it's a coffee shop, remember Starbucks and people overpaying for that garbage? I'm sure it happens still. Um, <laughs> Starbucks has got some of the worst. If you're me and you just want a black coffee, yeah, Starbucks is some of the worst crap you can ever taste. They start with 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 garbage. It's it's shit. It tastes like sewage water. I mean, I can't go to Starbucks for coffee unless you get one of their foofy, you know, frothy yeah. things. Yeah. It's it's like, I just want a black coffee. Oh, where did you get this? The toilet? I mean, it's like, <laughs> and you charged me $3 for it? Yeah. I got a Dunkin'. I could have got a Dunkin', which is now not Dunkin' Donuts. It's just Dunkin'. Uh, but, you know, you get my point. Um now, I'm not saying that, again, I go back to, I'm not saying that this pedal wouldn't be bad for $20. I haven't got mine yet. But uh, it was supposed to come today. Amazon sent me the, the famous, your pet, your uh, um, delivery has been delayed uh, email. Um, so, but uh, it's it's almost like um, there's a there's an expectation um of this stuff, it's still 
we and this can slide right into what you're about to do because you're about to start playing outside. There's this. I want to sound different. I want to bring new sound to my. How do I do that? I'm going to add a pedal, which which is not something that that it should be seen as negative. Just saying that I think it's it's almost like you know I've got to add a new spice to my to my thing. It's got to be done different. instead of doing something else different. It's become um, a lot of different, and that's twenty dollar market. Let's say under fifty, because a fifty dollar market is not that high. Under fifty dollars, pedals are there's there's every Donner pedal in the world. I got a guy uh, right now. I'm gonna buy the whole line. He's putting on a line. He's gonna have. Uh, he plays for the Gilmore Effect or Gilmore whatever. Yeah. He's uh, one of those Pink Floyd pros. It's coming out with a line of pedals that he's doing with a Chinese company, obviously. Right. It's going to be the whole entire thing with a tuner. <laughs> um, for two hundred dollars, you can do everything Gilmore does for two hundred bucks. This line of pedals, and I think it's six pedals. One of them is the thing, and and obviously you can buy one or one at a time. But I said to him, I said, Jimmy, um, you you got to send me an email because I want to, I want in, I want. Yeah, I'm well, sure. I'm sure there will be people that are like, "Oh, I want to sound like Gilmore so much that I'm going to well, buy a line of Chinese pedals." That, I mean, I get it. I I do yeah. really. I mean, yeah. but like, I just never been in guitar for hero worship like that. No, um, and 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 that's just it. Though um, he knows. Look, he's not stupid, and he's and he's a great player. Right, right. He knows. That there's a market for this stuff. Sure. So why not capitalize on it? Why not? Sure. Uh, he does these Gilmore things. He does these. He's uh, somewhat of an expert, I'm sure, because he's had to do right. it, you know. So I figure when the pedals come out, I'll see if he'll come on the show. Because he has his own thing, too. Sure. Um, and uh, we'll we'll talk and see about uh, these these type of things. Because uh, I, I think we'd have a good conversation. Um you know, again, that comes down to, but if you look at it, if you think about it, that's actually just under the $50 mark. The six pedals for $200 is just under that $200 mark, or I mean, $50 mark. That's closing it on 30 something dollars a piece. Right. I, I, I'd be interested. I told him, I said, you know, for not for nothing, I'll buy the whole set, try them out. And if I don't like it, I'll sell it as a, as a kit. Right. Are we ready to switch, switch topics? Yeah, because we got to talk about that yeah, next thing. We got to talk about that next thing, as if it's that somehow outside going to thing. be better than inside. Um, That's right. I feel like I was playing outside. We'll see if we'll talk about that at the gig report. I feel like I'm playing outside most of the time anyway. Um, <laughs> so, um, so if you're not familiar, if you're not savvy. Um, Cause, cause like not everybody that plays guitar knows theory, right? Like that's not, some people are literally completely ear taught to the point where you tell them, Oh, it's a C chord. And they're like, the fuck does that mean? <laughs> you know, um, which look, that's a thing. And I've met some yeah. people that are ear trained like that, that can outplay me. So, you know, I have no, like th this is for some people, theory will always remain a mystery and they don't need it. Uh, for the rest of us, it's something we probably should, we should, at least brush up a little on. Um, anyway, so uh, if, if you uh, um, have never heard this phrase playing outside, um, actually, uh, I think it was when we had Danny Rabin of Marvin on the show where he talked about playing outside. Um, it's a, that's a good listen. If you want to, if you want to explore 
um, some more of this after this this episode. But um, so I wanted to just briefly talk about um, uh, kind of where I am in my musical journey with with relationship to this. So um, when I started to learn to play, like I had some formal training. Um, I took lessons for what like eight years, I think, um, starting when I was sixteen and ending when I was probably 28 29 years old um so i had i had quite a bit of of uh lessons one of the things that i learned early on was course chords and i never learned them in the context of scale i figured that out on my own i was like okay so if you have a c chord then the next logical chord built from that scale would be d minor you know that kind of thing because it includes a d and f and an a which are all in the c scale instead of an f sharp which would be d major um, and so the way you do that is you write out all the, write all the diatonic notes of the scale, and then you literally harmonize. So you go, what's the next, what's the next note, two notes above and, you know, build your, your harmony that way. And you can look at, you can look it up on the internet. There's plenty of places where you can learn how to do diatonic harmony. Um, and so if you remember on the show, I started looking at, um, modes about like, and I always sort of knew what modes were but I didn't know the names of them and I still don't really know the names all that well, but I do recognize the, the, um, the sound a bit more than I used to. And I've started to realize, cause I did a, I did this whole thing where I said, okay, so the, all the modes of C, right. Um, all the, so like not, not all the modes of C like D, you know, like, Oh, the, 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 whatever the D relative mode is of C, but like building it from the idea of there's C, Aeolian, there's C Ionian, there's C Locrian, there's C Mixolydian, there's C Lydian, you know, um, and going through the, all the permutations. So there's eight modes of every, or seven modes of every scale. Uh, well, there's, yeah, one for every note um, and of the, the major scale. And some people would argue that the minor scale is a separate thing. Um, and there's actually some historical truth to that. Um, which is another whole rabbit hole I've read up on. And, uh, what I learned was from, from the, from the modal thing was that, um, certain, there are certain chordal moves that happen that out outline that you're playing in a specific mode. So like, for example, we're talking about C and D minor, right? So if I go from C to D minor, that's more than likely going to hint at C major. Um, if I ride the C a little bit more, right? Um, cause I know it also hints at some other things too, but if you go C major to D major, then you're Mixolydian, right? That's, you know, now you've got that tonality built there. Uh, I believe it's Mixolydian. Again, I, the names are not perfect for me, but the idea is that like it hints at this thing, right? And so that would be inside playing this idea that the, the harmony of the chords outlines the specific notes that you can play. What outside playing is, is when you actually start adding things that aren't necessarily implied by the chords and you can get away with a lot of different variations on that and there are a lot of different ways to start approaching this topic and um for a while i was kind of like no i'm not going to play outside because that's not correct and i don't know whether I, I don't think i was getting erroneous advice from anybody i think it was just more like no you need to focus on knowing how to play correctly first which makes sense um when you really think about it because it because then then you know like what is outside and what is inside you're not just you know 
grasping at straws. But um, before that, I had known, you know, basically like you figure out what the diatonic harmony of the chords is, which I could do, you know, I could do in preparation. I could never do it on the fly in a live, in a live situation, um, which is why this is becoming a little bit more important for me to understand and realize and, and know because I can memorize that and then take that into a jam situation, just, you know, fly all over the place. Um, so I'm still working on it, but like I was, I've always been able to do it from the perspective of sitting down with the chords, looking at scales, realizing that, you know, Hey, this, this progression, no, even doesn't start on the, you know, the tonic it is, it is derived from this scale. And then knowing that like I should land on the notes of the core land on the notes of the chords as the primary motivators of, of a, of a phrase. Um, I was always sort of doing it instinctively. Like I realized early on that I would land on the root most often, the fifth, second most often, and the third um, least likely. But I could land on the third as well quite a bit when I was when I was phrasing against chords. And um, so as I started as I started experimenting with this and digging through this, and it really came out of like things like learning about dominant blues and alternative scales that you can use against dominant blues. Um, for example, Mixolydian fits really nice over, over the, the tonic and dominant blues. If so, if like you're playing a C7, you could use a C mix and it sounds pretty cool. Um, I realized that there are, that's not necessarily an outside approach and there are, and there are explanations for that. So like part of the question I'm, I'm proposing to myself right now, as I start reading this, I was like, what actually is outside? Because even if you go to a tritone, we have a name for it. I mean, that's a valid harmony. Like it's used enough that we actually named the damn thing, um, which is kind of a wild thought I've had for a while. And I know that there'll probably be some listeners probably right now are screaming at their iPhones or whatever. Like, no, <laughs> no, you can't do that. Um, but, but you have to understand, like, from the perspective of somebody who didn't play theory for a good probably seven years, because um, I just wasn't interested in learning theory for that long. Uh, I was more focused on technique. Um, for me, theory explains why I do what I do. Not so much, like, get, it has not so much given me the roadmap, which is why I, like, I'm taking kind of a back-asswards approach at it now, and flipping it on its head and going, okay, so now I can use this as the roadmap. Um, but because I have that theory, theory describes what happens instead of theory, theory determines what happens. Um, I think I have a different perspective on this than many people probably would. And it may be, it may be wrong to some folks. Um, but it's like, when you hear people like Mark Letiri, right? And I wanted to share some some wisdom actually from some, you know, professional players that are that have talked about this. Say basically like everything I play is basically a pentatonic scale with color tones. I add in additional notes. Um, and he knows where those notes come from. Like, you know, he knows a flat fly five makes a blues the blues scale, you know, kind of thing. Um and uh like a raised fourth, you know, gives it a, uh, a Lydian vibe. It's raised fourth or flatted fourth? Jim, you should know that. Lydian, raised fourth, flat fourth. Lydian. I think it's raised Lydian, fourth, Lydian. isn't it? Raised, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, but I mean, like he would, you know, oh, well, I raised the fourth and this is this is like a Lydian color tone that I'm adding to this kind of deal. Um, but, you know, what's really funny to me is that we talk about these things in a vacuum like, oh, well, it's a scale. Right. So um, it occurred to me that that so I'm looking at uh, melodic minor a lot more and I'm looking at um, similarities between that and the half diminished scale, which is synthetic, you know, Um and I'm starting to realize, like, there's a lot of common notes in this stuff. And so when people say, like, oh, it's a, it's a pentatonic scale with a flat, you know, with a flat five. And it's like, well, that's so is it really a flat, you know, is it is it the flat five? Did that come from diminished or did it become from some intervallic relationship with uh, dominant seventh or, you know, like it, it becomes nebulous to an extent. Because everything is related somehow in music, right? Uh, we only have twelve notes, and if we have a harmony with a certain amount of a certain amount of notes in it, let's say we take a triad and you start adding on these uh, these lead lines over the top of this triad, and you're starting to play notes that are quote unquote outside. I guarantee that you can almost find some example where that would be supported, and it got me thinking that that really the only thing here that matters is actually like the chords in the sequence outlining where that can and can't go. So the longer that chord is held out, the more you can get away with. That was another thought I had was like, oh, well now we can, you know, so the phrase can be longer, which allows us more leeway to emphasize different notes. Um, and then you get into people um, doing stuff like blues turnarounds with chromatics in it. And it they just, everything goes out the window. Uh, you can get to the point where you're playing like whole tone scales against something and i and i know people say well it doesn't it, it doesn't sound right or whatever but then you got guys like eddie van halen who said things like soloing is about fall, falling downhill and landing on the right notes you know what i mean like land basically describing the the his approach which was the best solos are the ones that start off you know like kind of normal and then they start rolling downhill and they get all crazy and then they land on the right notes for the for the particular you know, whatever the, the phrase or, or whatever the riff or chord chordal sequence is. Um, and if you listen to it, if you listen to his playing, you can hear that there's a lot of chromaticism in his soloing approaches on certain tunes where it's like, okay, so we're just going to step this up through one note. And it's not always a flat fifth. Like he's not, he's not just outlining blues in some of these cases. And I think people tend to, to dismiss him as, you know, uh, oh, he was a blues rock. He was a blues influenced hard rock player. But a man, that guy, like, he was influenced by Holdsworth a hell of a lot more than people realize. Because, so I, I've heard this story. Um, somebody can fact check it if they want. But I've heard that that when he went and signed his deal with Warner Brothers with with Van Halen, you know, um, that part of that deal for their for I think was for their renewal was like you have to sign Alan Holdsworth. Like they they basically forced him to take on Alan Holdsworth, um, because Eddie was like so enamored with with his music and whatnot. So I just think it's a little interesting that you know we've got we've got all these different approaches. Um, I will say this: if you haven't explored playing out playing outside, um, and you're kind of curious as about what this concept is, uh, it is you got to work at it because because you can't so. I think the misnomer of me talking about this is like, oh, well, you can just play any note against any chord. No, 
No, you don't want to do that because it's going to sound weird. What you want to do is like um, make phrases that include notes that are outside, but still emphasize that emphasize the root third, fifth, seventh, or whatever else is in that extended chord um, to sort of build a phrase that's not that doesn't sound as outside. Like it's like adding personality or adding salt to something. You don't want to oversalt it. And you don't want that to land on it on, you know, if you if the if the beats emphasizing a two and a four, you definitely don't want to land a two and a four on an outside note. Um, although it can be done to great effect if you're looking for something like a tritone, which, again, you can argue is not outside um, because it's got a name and is used quite a bit. Um, so I don't know, Jim, I, if you, what's your experience? You, you don't play much outside, I don't think. Right. Like you, you tend to focus on. Um, what's on the written page from from the tunes you're covering, right? Yeah, most of the songs that I play, um, what I have to choose has to stay inside. Uh, sorry, my nose literally just... Uh, it just decided to relapse. <laughs> literally just got a tickle when I went, when yeah. I went to talk. Um, when I play outside, it's usually because we're doing like a long jam. Like when we're doing a Southern rock blues thing um, or uh, um, like when I do a free form jam from a song that hasn't got really a like I'll give you a cha- uh, an example. Rock in the free world. I can do whatever I want. Yeah, because it's got the big open section in there. It's right. so it's so open. And, and what he played is the least memorable thing you could think of. Because I think he just sat on one string in one spot and just kind of kept bending it and. And I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and when I do that, I, I literally had somebody come up and go, man, that's pretty good. But they said, uh, you know, um, <laughs> you got to love it when, when people tell you what how good they would have done it, right? Oh, God. Um, so I had somebody come up to me once and say, yeah, well, um, uh, he goes, he said something to the, to the effect that what I did was, was really cool, but... You know, um, uh, Young Neil Young would have done something more inventive, and I said, "I did exactly what Neil Young did." Yeah, you just did. said like, "No, no, no, <laughs> note for note." Neil Young, <laughs> Neil, Neil, all right, all right. Let's. You, Neil Young's one of the worst great guitar players. I was just gonna say, you hit the you 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 struck a chord with me because I got I got a bone to pick with Neil Young. Um, yeah, I, I I do not understand what people see in his playing. Like, as a singer, fine, whatever, I get it. Not my cup of tea. Uh, somebody who claims they're addicted to pot, for real? Like, who the fuck are you? But but uh, that's that's one thing, right? But when he goes right. and he does, like, he, there, there are live videos of him doing, like, All Along the Watchtower, and it sounds like shit. Like, it's, what the hell? Um, I, 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 I can't imagine people thinking that that's like some sort of unbridled passion or whatever. It's like, no, this is a guy that literally can't play his guitar. Like, that's what that is. I'm going to bend a, in rock in the free world. I'm literally going to bend a note and do a bunch of shit, but bunch of shitty shit that I can't, that I can't write down because it's like, it's not even notatable because it's just completely random. Like I get the musical statement idea of it, but that guy made a career out of that. That, that's called making a career out of not knowing what the hell you're doing. Um, 
And even his even his gear choices, dude. Like the whole Fender Deluxe thing oh, cranked to twelve. I mean, come on, dude. It sounded like shit when you did it in the sixties. It sounds like shit when you do it now. Like, stop it. Um I, I just don't get it. I don't I mean I use a I use a, a tweed inspired amp and like if I if my amp sounded like that, I'd be selling the damn thing. Um Well, you know, he was is I guess the great grandfather of punk rock. I mean, if you look at it, he was he was the punk before punk was oh, punk. I, he was an asshole, that's for sure. I mean, that's well. He's always been. That's been a, a documented. Bag. That's been a documented thing. Yeah. Um. I, I he's the guy on unplugged. Now that I think about, it, he's the guy on unplugged where he went on and they were they were uh, playing stuff. I think it was like off a heart of gold or something. And he turned around to the band and he's like, he's like, now we're going to do it again. And they did it like three times live. He forced the band to play the song, same song, like embarrassed them and everything. Like, no offense, dude. But if I was in your band, I would have quit because <laughs> I would have been like, no, this is this is bullshit. I'd go I'd go to the union and be like, yeah, give me another gig because this is this is ridiculous. Um, that's just. Like not in a not in a live. Did somebody not tell Neil Young they were live? Like, I you know it's like, <laughs> no, he's just a jerk. Um, he's an a hole, and he's made but, a career out of it. Right, right. But his while he's a jerk, and I'm not. I'm certainly not defending being a jerk. That's for damn sure. Um, while he is jerk, and he is he's like you said, it's demonstrated time and time again how much of an a-hole he's been to people not just and not just people that work for him close friends all kinds of folks they're like you know but um more than that he um that comes out in his music and sometimes that anger that frustration that that is what people want. It's like Roger Waters, who we talked about him earlier. It, I think that's some of it, but I think it's also people who are just simply tone deaf. That that they're that's, more worried about what he says so, than what he does. Right. That's right. That's exactly what I was getting at. Sometimes, like Roger Waters, have you listened to his, some of his solo stuff? I mean, no. first of all, the guy. <laughs> no, I refuse. <laughs> first of all, as David Gilmore has said a million times, he cannot sing in tune. No, he okay, can't. He, he can't. He shouts. His. Yeah, he's a terrible singer. His best, his words, look, if he didn't have David Gilmore and Rick Wright there to reinterpret them into melodic musical tones, money would not have been a hit. Um, you know, I don't care what, what song you pick, whether it's on um, uh, Dark Side of the Moon, Metal, whatever, there would have been no hits if David Gilmore and Rick Wright hadn't been there with their, I mean, they had. What sounded like two people doing it or one person doing um, their own harmonies. That's how close their voices were. It was so good and so attached and so in with the music. A lot of people don't know one of the most famous um, Pink Floyd songs wasn't sang by anybody in the band. Welcome to the Machine is sang by a guy that was Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was a welcome to the machine or have a cigar. What, no, wait a minute. Have a cigar. That is welcome to the machine, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's on. Welcome to the machine is its own song on that. Yeah, record. have a cigar. It might be have a cigar. One of those two. It's sung by a guy that came in. Yeah, and I remember. Waters I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's. It, 
he would go on stage. I, I saw them in those days. He would go on stage like this. He would wear, because those are the days before in-ear monitors. He'd have big old freaking heads. <laughs> and the reason was he couldn't hear. Yeah, he was. He had deafened himself a long time before that. So, um, so actually, I think it's really good that we we got kind of got off track talking about players because, yeah. um, if you want to talk about players and outside, I think it actually sort of fits outside the box too. And we're talking about Neil Young. Yeah. That he is a guy that is totally outside. Okay, right. Even though, even though, like when he's singing and when he's doing most of his stuff, he's inside. When he goes to solo, that dude's outside. Because he's doing yeah. things like on Brock in the Free World where he's just literally bending a note and just torturing the guitar and torturing my he ears, is, got, too. He's playing in the E minor pentatonic box at the at the seventh to ninth fret, and he's just got he's just and most of the time it's not too. He's just got his Bigsby and he's just freaking Yeah, and he's wailing away. It's like dude I swear to God, he he thought it was like a um a, a Floyd Rose that he could like uh, Nita Strauss does. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And she stole that from Steve Vai. Um, yeah, yeah. Which, oh, you she, know, yeah she everybody stole it. everything from Steve Vai at this point in that genre. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, you bring it up. And then, of course, I start thinking about other players who play outside who are maybe like more conventional with it. And uh, Jimmy Page comes to mind, actually, as being one of those guys. So, like, let, listen to the uh, the firm song Radioactive. Um, and there yeah, are some oh, really that. outside stuff on there. That is the, if you listen to that stuff, the, the riff. Yeah. I know it's I playing mean, like a diminished riff, or something. Yeah. That is not that's outside. It's like a big diminished <laughs> thing. It's like really weird. Um, I, I love that song. I love it. And when somebody said that radioactive was a big hit, I was like, wow, it came back. And I found out it was Imagine dragons and I heard it. And I was like, uh, no, that's Aw. not radioactive. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh, that's crap." It might be. Um, <laughs> it might make you feel radioactive. Yeah, um, it definitely didn't make me want to listen to it. You know, like you say. know what I'm saying? Like, um, anyway, uh, and then I was thinking about like people that are outside that probably, I like. I think people might not even realize they play outside. Is um, Jimi Hendrix, even though like most of his playing is based on like a pentatonic blues thing or, or it's not, I mean, it's obviously pentatonic blues, lots of fuzz, whammy bar, you know, kind of stuff. And people have said that he's a lot more conventional. People realize there are other songs in this catalog that are like way more out there. Um, one that comes to mind is if six was nine, right? Like you think about the, the crazy part at the end of that song where it's just like crazy noises and stuff, but it's harmonically interesting. And it doesn't really conform to anything specific. Um, it right. actually just kind of goes, and, it, and it, I, I see it like as a blossoming effect. And I haven't done close analysis of it, but that to me sounds like something that I would consider to be philosophically out, right? But not necessarily because there's probably some, there's probably something that explains the underpinnings of how that worked. But there are other songs in his catalog where he's more out. Um, what was I thinking of? Uh, Midnight oil, or was it midnight lamp? As I continue to burn the midnight, midnight lamp, oil, yeah, midnight that, oil, oh, for no, sure, yeah, and and a lot of this stuff is on is on Electric Ladyland. Like, there's a lot of more adventurous. Um, in 1983, Merman, I will be. Mer, yeah, that's another one where there's some stuff that's like, where are we going here? <laughs> a lot of people think of midnight oil, and the only thing they can think of is that one. Uh, you know, 
how do we sleep when our beds are burning? That's the only one they could think of. And it's, and there's so much more to midnight oil than that. Yeah. Um, I think, um, all right. So, so yeah, um, but that's the point. Yeah. But that's the point, right? Like, so like other artists, even artists that we consider to be more conventional, I'm sure people who like, you know, listen to Jimmy Page don't realize that he has stuff in common with jazz and, um, oh, yeah. you know, more outside players, but there's a lot of outside stuff in his playing. There's a lot of outside stuff in Jimmy Hendrix's playing. There's a lot of outside stuff in Van Halen's playing. And if you want to hear somebody who is just completely off his rocker, go listen to Neil Young, who's just, I don't know what the hell he's doing. <laughs> he's lost me <laughs> he's at that there. point. He's literally he's lost me at that point. Um, but, but even so like, I guess the I guess the takeaway for our listeners and the one question I have for our listeners because somebody in the, somebody in our group will probably pipe up and say something or maybe in the comments below. Um, yeah, do you consider chromaticism playing outside? Because like if you're walking up something chromatically, if you're voice leading chromatically, um, would you consider that to be outside? Because in my mind, I don't anymore. Right. Um, and so I even when either. I'm saying these guys that, you know, I, I mentioned all these people that are outside, a lot of times that's what they're doing. Um, yeah, but you you got to remember what you've exposed yourself to and what is outside to someone. Well, that's why I think I, that's exactly the core of this commentary is that, like, yeah. if you're limiting yourself to the church modes, then right. there's not going to be as much outside. I, right. I, another another interesting question, um, and this is this is uh, this is an aside, but it has to do with the same stuff. So, like, I went digging. I was wondering why there are three different minor scales. So there's natural minor, oh, harmon yeah, the harmonic, har harmonic minor. minor, and melodic minor. Like and the nearest I can tell, um, and I actually kind of speculated this before I before I went and, which if you know me, I'm rampant speculator. Um, I went, I, I actually went and did some digging. And read up on some stuff and kind of confirmed what I what I had long thought to be true, which was that um, so the the all right so in Pythagorean tuning prior to you know having the well tempered piano scale and all that stuff yep, that, yep. that now makes up all modern instruments that you buy in the store for the most part right. um, in in Western music we had Pythagorean tuning which was all divisions right and so you couldn't play in all twelve right. you couldn't play in all twelve keys. You can play in two keys, C minor, A harmonic minor, okay? Because right. And it's not harmonic minor. It's just A minor. Right. But back then, A minor sounded different than our minor scales do because we divided right. up the scale differently for the for to get equal temperament. Now, mm -hmm. what this resulted in, this is really interesting, is that you couldn't get a leading tone on your on your seventh in right. a minor scale in a regular natural minor scale so one thing that people started doing was using a raised seventh to give it the harmonic minor sound because they wanted that leading tone for doing certain um certain cadences okay right. and then it became sort of like well you know there's this other thing that we're missing too this other tuning thing that happens in Pythagorean tuning that we can't do. And melodic minor actually is born out of that. It gives them both leading. Right. It gives them what technically both leading tones. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, if you, if you dig, uh, if you dig and you read up on some of this stuff, like the historical background behind it, because um, it sort of puts things into perspective, how it's really just your position within the music. And like, 
that, that determines a lot of your ear. So like if you're from Sardinia, right? So this is another, this is another weird one. This is something I learned when I was in college. If you're in Sardinia, um, some of your exposure to music has likely been uh, throat singing for uh, goat herding. And one of the things that they do is they sing these really loud, um, it's almost like harmonic pitches. And it's because they clash with each other. It keeps That's the right. goat herders who are out in the fog from running their herds into one another. Into each other, yep. And it's, it is it is music. Like people study, ethnomusicologists mm-hmm. have gone over there and studied it. And what they realized was that actually infiltrated some of their folk music and stuff too, these, these same ideas. And so they, yeah. you know, like it just has to do with your frame of reference. If you've never been exposed right. to that. Right. Then... It comes in, right. It comes into that exposure thing where you, where you find, um, Oh, that's, that's normal. If you had never grown up with Hendrix, think about, think about this. There's a lot of people now that grow up without ever hearing Hendrix. Right. Sadly. And, sadly. Yeah. And so when they listen to Hendrix, they're like, Oh, that's something I've, I've heard that from a thousand different people. Yeah, Stevie Ray Vaughan's yeah, better. Yeah, if you were he in the sixties, you, you had said that. He would have slapped you. But, He'd be like, ah. right, right. But if you <laughs> listen to what Hendrix is doing, and I, I just want to go. Um, I don't want to go too far. We've we've been on this for a while, but sure, sure. Um, you listen to um, that that one little piece that da 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 da. Nobody was doing that rock music. Okay? Rock music was was, you know, you ain't nothing but a hound dog. It was it was um, right. uh you know um that kind of uh thing. And it was there was nothing wrong with it. Chuck Berry and everything else was going on. Great stuff. But Hendrix took it and went, I'm gonna do a song that's that's like completely different. I'm gonna do Dolly Dagger, I'm gonna do Castles Made of Sand, I'm gonna do this stuff that's like way out here, right? And and people were like, "That is what I need to do." I mean, think about who followed him. Yeah, he reoriented. We, he reoriented the landscape he was a part of. People don't realize it. Like, so he was influenced by like the Rolling Stones and things. But but he, what people don't realize is that when he died, there was like six months where everybody was like, "What the hell do we do now?" Um, right? Because they didn't have they didn't have like a, a messiah to follow. In other words, this guy that like basically put the blueprint out there for everybody else. Yeah, I mean, think about it. He was still riding the wave. He didn't. He didn't go out on the way down. No, there's so no. many so many musicians that go on out on the way down. No, but not he never many hit people. Can... He never hit his apex. No, no, no. no way. He was no just way. getting. He was just getting the wave going. I mean. God, some of the things he was doing. And all I'm saying in that point, I'm not trying to, you know, become some, you know, Hendrix, Hendrix is God type thing. Hendrix what is I'm God, saying though. Is, no. Yeah. He, but, he, the legend of Hendrix is because of his death, though. It, it, like, totally, true. totally is wrapped up in that. True. If he had died at 80, we might be saying a different story about Hendrix. Right, right. But because he died so young, 27 years old and... And just like I said, going up to the peak, he was bringing look, look who was on his coattails. Look who's following him. Townsend, Clapton, Page, um, uh, Beck. I mean, all these, these guys people were, sort of reoriented themselves after they like came into contact with his music. Um, and right. I think a lot of people are like, well, they weren't con- they were uh, not contemporaries of his. But like, look at the music they made before. 
and then he came and out, then, and then look at the music they made after. It, and even they admitted it. Yeah. Come on, Clapton refused to follow him. The Who refused to follow Bri- him. Brian May. They, they were like, Brian May was was another like huge devotee of Jimi Hendrix. He talked oh. about how Queen he wanted it to, to be a like the best glorious combination of the Beatles and Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Um, uh, who else? Um, uh, Billy Gibbons. Who who played for them? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, <laughs> the, the sidewalk I mean, played yeah. with him. Um, even even um, acoustic players of the time, the guys from Traffic, um, were devotees of of Hendrix. So there's this whole thing. I mean, and, and Hendrix got it obviously from um, being poor and black and growing up um, listening to a lot of that. Um, the what they had for church music um, in his area, and and obviously um, blues and jazz, blues of records, the time. jazz records, cutting his teeth with people like uh, Curtis Knight and that kind of stuff. Yep. Like, yep. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna it's, it's flip the topics. Yep. It, uh, all I'm saying is expose yourself. Take a little time. I, I'm not a person that listens to Did Hendrix you all just the time. Tell our viewers to expose themselves to him. <laughs> like what the hell do the music Whoa! this podcast just got real fast <laughs> expose yourself to the music go back listen to charlie um charlie parker listen to uh listen to giant steps um, <laughs> i'd love to see somebody's actual like theoretical analysis of whether he's playing in or out on that tune because yeah. <laughs> because because that tune is like <laughs> I I we I had a debate with a show listener about this song and like a lot of jazz people apparently don't like it because it's they, yeah, it's weird. it's considered masturbatory. And right. it's like okay, I get it, but I at Bop Jazz at that time wasn't about sounding pretty it, a lot of it was about like here look at my chops and right. as that part like it is literally giant steps of an achievement um because if we would in, in in the midst of the conversation came up that the piano solo really sucks on that song and it's because the piano player couldn't figure it out fast enough while they're yeah, playing trying it to <laughs> trying to figure out where it was going i think it's great but anyway let's uh so what's our next topic we're on buying selling and trading my friend Yes, you have the link, so I don't have to give it to you. To the reverb. Oh no, that's um, another. Best... To- that's the next topic. We're going to talk about reverb bestsellers and oh. and to- topic okay. after this. All right. So th- I thought we were going to j- start with that, jump over that. We'll go the other way. So it's 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 Christmas time, folks. Well, it's coming up to Christmas. Christmas time is here yeah. again. Okay, moving on. And uh, obviously, with things um, the way they're going, um, it's kind of a. You see something you want, you better be ready to pull that trigger. Yeah, kind of. This year, this year is um, probably more exceptionally so that way than it ever has been. Um, I have been looking for various items on uh, Sweetwater in the last couple of days and realizing, like, not in stock, not in stock, not, not in stock. stock. I was looking for an insert cable today, of all things, an insert cable, and not in stock. And I'm going, yep. Are you effing kidding me? You guys don't have any insert cables? Like, it's when not I even bought, a common thing. Yeah, when I bought my Kemper, the profiler, or the profile stage, 
I um, went to buy the cable. I I, I got the, the foot switch, which thank goodness it was in stock at the time. Right, and then you had to buy um, you had to uh, buy two TRS cables. Two TRS cables, and they went to sell me the one that's like it's got a TRS on this end, TRS on this end, it's like dual. Yeah, none. They didn't have any. The guy was like, "Okay, hold on, let me. No, we don't have any of those. Hold on, oh, let me get a one foot. No, we don't have." It. He goes, "Okay, I got this one." <laughs> That's what my my rep was doing on the phone with me. I mean, and finally. We've talked about me buying this and like this was yep. sort of an impulse purchase because they were in stock. This is not a cheap yep. item. I did not pay this price, but normally they're six hundred dollars, seven hundred dollars. Right. And I was like, ain't going to be able to get one in like three weeks. Um, yep. So, yeah. And like, honestly, the things that that are going to be really troublesome Tubes are already, you know, we've already talked about there's a tube shortage. Now it's sort of, there's a new tube company that has yep. opened a factory in China. I told you it was going to happen. It did. Um, yep. And now there's, you know, talk about these maybe having issues because some of the alloys and stuff that they use and the ball ends. Yeah. Um, but maybe not Dodario, but some of the other brands source their stuff from foreign countries who are still in the midst That's of right. a horrible coronavirus pandemic um just like we That's are right. even though we're pretending it's done um but realistically this is just all economic fallout from the fact that the last two years have just been completely batshit nuts um and yeah. we're going to continue to go through this like shenanigans probably for the foreseeable future and this doesn't just wrap itself up into guitar equipment but it wraps itself up really into um any industry not well, just not even the, the electronics industry any industry well it's the silliest things that, that you would think, no, I can always get that. But we can talk tuners. We were just talking tuners before the show. Yeah. And, and I, don't, um, I don't think I – well, I think the PRS tuner is in stock. The Dodario one I wanted to get is out of stock already. Mm -hmm. they, got a, they got a new rechargeable the brand, Yeah, they're brand new. Um, and the thing is that we can see in stock, but the next day it's out of stock. I mean, and that's – you know, if somebody had told me two years ago, some salesperson said, you know, Jim, uh, matter of fact, when I went to get my Kemper profile stage, he goes, Jim, I can't guarantee you we'll have it if that's what you want. You know, he goes, because they didn't have Helix, they have a Helix LP, they didn't have a, um, any of that stuff. No. They had what you what They had want, the HX they, Stomp in the gray color and, yeah. and not even the regular black one, right? Yeah, and that yeah. was it. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> and they didn't have any of the LT Apex style LT. And I was like, because I, um, I was like, all right. Um, and so we went because uh, I was I was considering the quad cortex. Don't think I wasn't. And I went because and I was also considering the the Axfex, which you can't do through Sweetwater. But anyway, so talked to him. I'm like, yeah, go ahead. And uh, there was a period, you know, where they had almost nothing. And so um, it's a funny thing. I went to I went to Guitar Center. Um, this sounds like like we're redoing what happened a year ago this this time of year. It probably I was does. in Guitar Center. Yeah, I was in Guitar Center. And I looked at the wall that's that's right behind a counter. That's usually where Gibson is because Gibson Gibson 
gives them deep discounts, put that stuff behind the wall. All right. That's the reason that you see the expensive it de- it stuff depends, right behind It depends on the store layout because my local right. store doesn't have a behind the wall. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. They don't have one. Yeah. So behind our counter, Gibson gives discounts so that they can get their stuff right there when you're looking. When you're checking out, you're staring at nothing but Gibsons. Guess yeah. how many Gibsons are on that wall? Like five. Out of 20 guitars, there's f- maybe five. Do you know what's wild, though? So, like, here we are and in this recession, and we're, talking, and we're talking about Gibsons going out the door and not being findable at Christmas time. Whoa. Um, holy, yeah, holy, sh- right? Because that means that, like, people are just spending money, and it doesn't make sense. It's not yep. just supply and demand. It's just, well, I can't get the Epiphone version, so I guess I got to buy the Gibson. Like, what? Yeah. Who's got money for that? Yeah. And we're talking, we're talking tributes, we're talking costumes, we're talking classics, we're talking theaters, we're talking, um, you know, uh, you name it. They can't sit there. And and it's funny because it wasn't just it wasn't just Les Pauls. It was Gibsons in general. There was a um, there's a used PRS sitting there for thirty eight hundred dollars. It's been there for like months. Yeah, that's um, not a that's not a used that's price. Not <laughs> that's yeah, not that's a used not going price. Not going anytime soon. Well, it was you know it's one of those artist top shelf super. It better be, it better be freaking amazing player. because used they don't go for shit. I know, and that's well we'll get to that list later, but. Um, all I'm saying is that that uh, it's silly shit too. Like I go over to the pedal thing. Um, uh, what's his name? Just released three new pedals in the ninety nine dollar line. Josh Scott. Right, JHS. Thank you. And uh, what are they? Uh, one's a not a flanger. They already had a flanger, um, but they're three new pedals. I'll be honest with you. I haven't looked at them yet because until I want to buy them. I still have this thing where I want to buy the whole board. I want I just want to put together a whole board of nothing but Josh Scott's ninety nine dollar pedals. Yeah. Well, you got most of them now. There's only like one missing, and that's a Univibe. Well, that's what a tuner. A Univibe. No, there's not going to be oh. a tuner. There won't be a tuner. Yeah. I don't think you can put a display on a pedal for ninety nine bucks and and have him make it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe, maybe the maybe the seesaw will be a ninety nine dollar pedal. Does anybody remember the seesaw? Oh yeah, and the seesaw was the fabled uh, tuner in a volume pedal that uh, was shown as a prototype, I think, and then like never materialized as an actual product. So yeah, it's worth mentioning. So let's see, he got the um, Hall Reverb. Oh, it is Flanger and Phaser. I was right. I was right. Flanger and Phaser. Okay, so he's done a um, a Hall Reverb, a Flanger, and a Phaser. I I want to buy every one of them and put them on a board. It'll be a a $1000 board now. <laughs> That's what's funny. <laughs> yeah. Another one $99 pedals to be a $1000 board. But you know what though? Like let's be let's let's be real for a minute though. Yeah. Would you rather have a $1000 board filled with $99 pedals or would you rather have a $500 board filled with $20 pedals? I mean Right. <laughs> like, it's it's a long there's a long convoluted conversation there that goes along with that yeah and and i can understand being having been uh poor uh 
in my life more than once um, that you don't always have a thousand dollars. Thousand dollars to some people. My mother used to say this when we were when we were young. I remember when I was looking. Uh, I told you the story about me saving up for my custom, right? And I'll never forget, mom, when I when I looked at it the first time and she realized what the price was. Every other kid in my in my age, in the you know, in their mid teens, they're saving up for a car. Right, <laughs> and I'm standing up for a guitar. That's right, not someone that wants to play guitar. And I so wanted the the right guitar, and so it was just funny because when she looked at it, she goes, "A thousand dollars? That may as well be a million dollars." Yeah, because we we just didn't have that kind of money. Right, and I had to. I mean, I had to beg, borrow, and steal to get that money. But anyway, so so if you're in the market now. Make your move. And if you're looking to sell, do it. And I and I say that with this red guitar still hanging over my shoulder because I haven't decided to sell it yet. I have I, I mean <laughs> I have stuff up for sale right now that's not moving and I'm I'm just not in any rush. But like yeah, it now it's a there's now no it's a seller's market. It's it, there's no reason to be. I mean, you if you want your price, you should get your price. Right. And I watched some stuff. I watched a guitar like my red uh uh, double cut. One sat on the market for twenty two hundred dollars. I said that guy's never going to get that kind of money. And then he and got it. Yeah. And it, and it wasn't a person. It was a um. It was a company. The dealer. It was a um a dealer. So I I I think I might you know hang on to it for a bit. Um, but you know there's a uh, there's definitely. A good market out there, yeah. I got again. My my guitars are are disappearing from the wall because there's actually. Let me see if I can get it. There's my three three five. Yeah, because Jim and, plays them. <laughs> yeah, so they're down and they're in their case. Actually, my my Strat. I took my Strat to the to a gig for the first time, but that's in the gig report. But point is, I've thought about selling my Strat a hundred times, and then I go. Uh, I'm not gonna sell my strat because the minute I sell my strat, I'm gonna want another strat, and that's just like my double cut. Huh? You know, I could sell one of my standards probably, and but I I don't know. It, it's so hard right now to think about wanting to sell a guitar um, personally, and it's weird because the market is actually good for selling. And yeah, I'm like, oh, but if I sell it, think about think about prices of guitars right now. This is the, this is where I'll, I'll I'll end this buy sell trade thing. So I went through that whole sale of guitars thing, right? I I churned guitars for yeah. three years. I yeah, watch I your show. <laughs> what, what, go go back and we just you know, skip around a couple episodes. This has been <laughs> the most stable most stable year I've had. Yeah, right. Where really I've capped and added. Rather than sold, so the SG that's pre, that's pre COVID that's pre me working at a guitar center, right? Uh, my, uh, you know, so I I've been moving that stuff along. As a matter of fact, my uh, hummingbird, all that stuff. So and, and I got this guy back, thank God. So this has been a year of of growth and not sales. And I've sold a couple of pedals. I'll admit that. But you know, I got the Kemper, but I didn't sell any amps. I got the um, I sold the Spark because I it wasn't in my workflow, okay? Because I would have I would just like a little like I, I think the 
the Yamaha TH thing would be a good one for me because it's a certain amount of space. It's the the whole thing for that. The form factor is what what I'm. Looking for. But anyway, but I've still got I've still got my Marshall, which was pre um, pre that I've got. You know, but when I went through that, now, now here's what's funny. We started the show in 2017, 2018. I think so. I think it was like 2016. I think 2017. it was 2017. Yeah, 2016, 2017. Because I didn't move until 2018. It was May of 2018, and we were doing the show for a while before that. So my other house, <clears throat> I could buy a Les Paul tribute, brand new, off the shelf for nine hundred dollars. That's not even the used price anymore. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, but the tributes are the tributes are different now than they were then too. Oh, I'm just saying that <laughs> they're, di- they're different product. Well, <laughs> the, the ones that I had are that's they're going for more than that used. Sure. And what I'm saying is that that look at a um, look at a strat. We we watched the player series go from forward change. Into the fives, yeah. into the sixes. Reach now, and they're in the sevens, right? They're in the sevens. between between two thousand five yep. and and twenty twenty one. We've seen them go for seven hundred and fifty dollars up to fifteen hundred dollars. Literally yeah. doubled in price in fifteen years. Yeah, it's seventeen years, eighteen years, whatever it is. It's it's a there is a. Uh, yeah, two thousand. If you looked at, oh my god, in two thousand and five or two thousand six, one of those two years, I bought a Les Paul Studio. Um, it was the the Ash Body, the, the Swamp Ash Studio. Look one up now. I bought it brand new for six hundred dollars. Well, people always talk about they use the inflation calculator and they go, well, you know, the inflation rate is like the. It's more like this, guys. I hate to break it to you. In our business, it is actually more like this. Yeah. Um, it's because, and it has a lot to do with the fact that the manufacturer will actually take a loss on certain things until they get to a certain point, a critical mass, and then they raise the rates. But it has to do with competition from, with China from for wood. It has to do with um, competition from you know foreign manufacturing. I mean, we're we're literally living in a time right now where a Korean guitar can be eighteen hundred dollars. The, yeah. the the Reverend Greg Cox signature model is eighteen hundred bucks with a Bigsby. I mean, think about that for a minute. The great, you know that that signature model is eighteen hundred dollars, and it is made in Korea. And That's we right. have Strandberg building guitars at Court Court yep. Court in Indonesia. For three thousand dollars plus, there is a. Uh, you mentioned that locally at Music Go Round right now. There's a seven string, uh, like a Strandberg Bowden uh, or something. Uh, yeah, it's a Strandberg. Um, and I thought to myself, I said, "Geez, uh, here no Ormsby, Ormsby." Okay. okay, Ormsby is another. They're Australian. Yeah. All right. Yep. Made at Cortec. That's who makes them, Cortec, which is Cort. It's 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 actually what World Music or something. No, is that the same? Is that no, the same place? No, that's not. That is not. World Music okay, was where where uh, PRS used to get their stuff made. They okay, made this was Cortec made as well. at, I believe, World Music. 
uh, yeah, world music instruments. Yeah, WMI. Yep. And uh, this guy, because I knew Cortec did the other one, that's why I was like, I think this this is a Chinese company too, right, or a Korean company? They're they're Indonesian, or is it Indonesian? I think. Indonesian. I, well, no, they might be Korean, because I I don't know. We'd have to look on WMI because a I lot thought, of these companies, like even Court, doesn't they same. have operations in multiple countries? In fact, I think Court is actually spinning up a factory in China right now. Um, so. World Music Instruments. I'm looking it up. Korea. So, um Street's made in Korea. $1,000 for a used seven-string. And seven-strings aren't really... They're that, not the big sellers. That's not a shock for me to see Norms be at that price. Yeah. Um, used. Because it's, a, because it's yeah. a slightly off... You know, it's not a, it's not your typical run-of-the-mill thing. And they're enthusiasts right. for that sort of guitar. But right. but when you talk about, like, Strandberg pushing 3500 bucks for a Cortec guitar... Yeah. You start kind of doing this to your temples because you have a really bad headache <laughs> yeah um well that gets to that gets to our next uh our next thing that's not to, oh, by uh-huh. the way before we move on that's not to say that that a 3500 guitar from from cortec isn't going to play just as good as a 3500 american guitar the reality right. the reality is that quality control could be astronomical on that guitar from Cortec. Like that's what people need to understand. The country of origin has nothing, yeah. to, nothing to do with it, but we're just pointing out that th- this is now becoming like, you know, is the labor any cheaper to go to a third world country like Indonesia, not Indonesia, not right. third world. I would consider Indonesia second world because they're, they're definitely yeah. on the upswing. Um, but um it's definitely one of those situations where it makes you stop and think a bit about what you're buying yeah. and who who yeah. the American guitars are actually marketed to, um, which I would I would say firmly into uh, the category of people who were buying American guitars 20 years ago. Um, yeah. So they're still looking at those markets the same way. And I and largely. Final thought, largely, I think that's because the people that were buying guitars from America 20 years ago are the only people that can afford American guitars today um, because of the wage gaps and all the stuff that's going on. So anyway, we're going to, we're going to flip over to the next topic, uh, which brings us right into the next topic, which is this, um, the best selling guitars of 2021. Oh, wait, wait a minute. I keep messing up. Mm-hmm. I was going to on the next topic, not the last topic. There we go. All right. Reverb bestsellers. So they lost their bestseller right. list. Um, which one do you want to talk about first? Because there's three different lists. Well, let's talk about guitars. Well, I don't have a guitar list from them. You don't? Here, I'll give it to you. Uh, I found it. Never mind. Okay. All right. So the um, number one and number two don't surprise me in the least. Do number they surprise th- number you? Three, number three doesn't surprise me either. Nope. No, nope. not at all. 100%. Not at all. Um, what did surprise me was somebody who said something, which still didn't shock me, but said it matter-of-factly, that the the, the SE version of the Silver Sky, which is number three, folks, uh, is coming. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, well, no. you know, I've been telling people that all along, and I have been... Dude, you would not believe the amount of people that are like, it's never going to happen. No, it has to happen economically. It, happen. it has to happen economically. Um, it may, and and I guess the question comes down to whether it is a, 
it, uh, a John Mayer signature, or if they don't come up with other some other model branding to make that guitar right. work um, with some of the accoutrements. It may not be exact exactly the same, but you're going to see bolt-on neck guitars coming from PRS. It's going to happen yeah. out of out of uh, whatever you know third party they're working with overseas. It's going to happen. That's right. And um, so I I honestly believe we're going to see, and I wouldn't be surprised to see a CESE. I think that that would be a really. I wouldn't be surprised. It's not going to be a CESE. They're going to move CE production over there. Yeah, that, that yeah, that, that's what I mean. Or or the CE joins the S two line. That um, could be. Yep. So because it's it's sort of like this weird guitar they do that's in the middle, and yep. um, at some point they're going to have to draw a line in the sand on it. Um, yeah. Just because of production standards, production numbers, um, and whether they can continue to justify having this odd guitar that that sort of uh, sits in the middle of their price points, and maybe that's why it's still there. But I but I suspect at some point it's going to be more attractive to buy a CE over a Core Custom Twenty Four because the price difference and that they're so similar yeah. that it almost doesn't make sense to buy a set neck version of the CE. Um, so, um, folks, number one and number two are the Fender Player Series, really. The Telecaster and Stratocaster. Now, now and, there is one thing I wanted to say about this. I did find it funny that the Stratocaster was in second. Yeah, me too. Because yep, I really was, thought the Telecaster would be in second. Yep. Yep. I, I That is the only part that, that surprised me. Number four doesn't actually, shock me. No, no. Actually, but, that, was, that was another thing I was going to say. I'm surprised that's not higher on the list. That's what I was going to say. Number four doesn't shock me. I thought it would be higher. <clears throat> and that's the Squire Affinity Telecaster. Of course, these are reverb sales, folks, in, in literally by numbers sold. In 2021, which means that right. with all the stimulus money people have been blowing and all of the other things that have been going on to allow them to do this kind of thing, no gas right. money being spent, yep. that kind of stuff. Because um, most people are still doing some sort of combination of work from home or still working from home. Um, yep. So, yeah, that that's where all this money's coming from. Anyway. Yeah, I buy, I buy gas. Believe it or not, um, I sometimes don't have to buy gas for three weeks. So, or, well, diesel for my car, but. Um, the next one uh, is the, uh, the Fender American Professional 2. I'm only shocked by that because it hasn't been out very long, and that's reverb sales. So now, of course, more companies are going to reverb and selling new product. My custom is one of them on reverb. So I'm a little shocked by it, but there was a huge rush to get those, and that's the, the Pro 2 Stratocaster. Not shocking that it's a high number, just shocks me that it's a higher number in reverb. So that's that's a that's a cool one. Um, the, you know what's funny about the Silver Sky? Going back to the Silver Sky Silver Sky signature, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about a signature that is not even on this list. That is supposedly, I mean, we talked about it last time. Supposedly the number two freaking uh, sale of I could see the, Sky, the Silver Sky beating that guitar for sales i really can in the future not because i think the silver sky is better i just think the silver sky sells it, better it, and it's it certainly has, a better it has point. a massive person's name attached to it it is right. so this is this is why i think it's funny is like if you're a if you're a strat player 
and you're after like the 60s strat thing, the Silver Sky is going to get you there more than the American That's right. Fender player. Yeah, player right, two. Yeah. Right. Because, two or whatever. Yeah. Because it's got the radius. Right? I mean, yeah. it's as basically what it boils down to. This is the best Stratocaster Fender never made. Yeah. I mean, seriously, that's and, – and the price point. What is that thing? $2,400 now? Yeah, I think it's like 2400 bucks, but uh, you can get them used for just, cheaper than that now. Yeah, and it's just not that expensive considering what you're getting is is almost custom shop quality Fender. And the and the the young oh. people who grew up listening to John Mayer, you know, when the trio record came out and stuff, are now old enough that if they really right. want to, they can put the money down and they can buy a Silver Sky. And that's basically, that's right. I, honestly, I think that's the only reason that it still hasn't had a an SC release is because yep. there's still a slight market for it. You know, and and people have told me that this this is what's hilarious. I got into a I got into an altercation with somebody in another in another Facebook group because um, I was told that. Um, we should probably talk about that too. Uh, I was told that the, the Acoustasonic, the new one, um, well, well, that'll be another thing. We'll, we'll do that as a bonus content after this. The Acoustasonic, the new Acoustasonics are selling super, or the original Acoustasonic sold super well, which is why they decided to do an expensive line. And I was like, why would that, why would they want to do that? Like, have you not, maybe you haven't like wrapped your brain around this concept, but if something sells well, you usually don't want to release a cheaper version of it because it's going to continue to sell well. So like I pointed out that several local dealers have told me that they can't sell Acoustasonics. They don't want them on their walls. Um, that, that it's inventory space. That's too hard to move. We, we, Jim, you and I both talked about guitar centers that still have acoustic standing on the, hanging on the wall from their launches. Um, and, yep. and the, um, the person, of course they are in the know, I'm not going to say who it was, but they did retort and they said, well, uh, the dealers we've talked to said that they do sell really well. And I'm kind of thinking like maybe the dealer you talked to is Sweetwater, which yes, of course, an online retailer is going to be able to move guitars. Because the market yeah. is everywhere, right? But like mom and pops are not selling these things, which says that there's not a whole lot of local desirability, or at least there's not a that's lot right. of desirability with people outside the millennial category, because that's who right. was buying online stuff. Um, right. Unfortunately, if you can't buy those economics, like that's basically the way that works right now. Most people yeah. are not buying guitars online unless they're younger and more comfortable with that proposition. That's so, right. That's absolutely right. And, and, to be completely honest, um, you know, the whole reason I haven't bought a Silver Sky, because I hate that effing neck. I'm hoping the SE has a neck I like. Because to be honest with you, I like the guitar. I think the guitar sounds nice. I think it's sweet. But I hate that friggin' neck. Oh, God, I could not stand that neck. So it, it, just me. All right, the next two didn't surprise me. Gibson Les Paul standards, 60s and 50s. That's the 2,500 now, $2,600 models. Those are those are going to continue to sell well. Um, now it's worth mentioning these I'm are used, these are used sales. Well, and does it say used? I thought it was they include, best on electric. No, it includes used. Yeah, it includes used and new. Right. Right, but I would not automatically that, assume that most of the stuff that's sold in reverb is new that I would not assume that. <laughs> no, no, but I'm not shocked. These are, I mean, the, the Gibson Les Paul standard fifties and sixties are not an old product. That's only been out for correct. How long has been, uh, Zetchwitz been gone three years now. 
Yeah, no, but I'm Has just, it been three years yet? No, I'm just pointing out that those guitars actually may be selling better than what's than what Reverb is reporting based on yeah. the fact that Oh yeah, yeah. That's again that goes to to the fact that this is just reverb sales. But still, um uh, like I said, those guitars are selling well. Um and uh I, I'm not shocked to see the 60s selling above the 50s. Some people are just convinced that that limb taper 60s neck is faster than a 50s neck, and for some people it is. And I, I can tell you that having been in a Gibson group that I left voluntarily because I slipped and took a picture of my wall and it had a fender on it, and they were like, oh, we had to take that picture down. I'm sorry. You, you can't have a picture with a fender in it. It has has nine Gibsons or whatever okay, I have okay, okay, and okay. one Fender. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to point something out here. I'm just going to point something out here. This is not meant to offend anyone, but Gibson people, like in general, the people I've talked to who are like Gibson people like that are pretentious assholes. And that's unbelievable that they would Some be like, take your picture down because I had a Fender in it. Uh, yep, the, it wouldn't the shock admins. me. It wouldn't shock me. But you know, I'm in PRS groups. Nobody says anything like that. I'm in. I'm in. You know, Fender groups. I've never seen anybody say anything like that. But but for whatever reason, it's like these elitist people all flock to Gibson for some reason. I don't know. Whatever. I have seven seven Gibsons and one Fender, and the Fender was like in the picture because <laughs> like it's like cut it, cut in half. You know, <laughs> I, had, I would have had to take the Fender off the wall to get all the get the, and, and it was just it was so silly. I I was like, you have got to be sure. so I left the group. But anyway, um, what was I saying? Oh, I, I'm just saying that that uh, you know it 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 didn't it doesn't <laughs> shock me that these guitars are up there. I have a I have a that's a slim taper neck. The other one. That's my number. Well, uh, let's cut this own, off. Let's cut this own. off as number ten. Maybe we'll do an honorable yeah. honorable mention thing. But like, uh, yeah, just well, we can do 10. an honorable mention of the last four. Um, the next one is uh, the ESP LTD EC one thousand. Also, not shocking. Yeah. Um, very nice guitar. I had one. I've had two. Um, I would get another one. Um, great guitars. Great guitars. Uh, the next, the next ones. I'll just read them fast. The Squire Affinity Series Strat, surprised that it's not higher because the Tele was number four. Um, Fender American Standard Strat, PRS CE24, not surprising. Fender American Professional uh, Strat, Fender American Ultra Tele, wow. Uh, the, Siri, the Squire J Mascus Jazz Master, the Squire Classic Vibe Jazz Master, not surprising at all. Uh, Fender American Standard Strat from 86 to 2000. Mm-hmm. And another one that got up there was the Fender Standard Strat from '98 to 2005. Also, not surprising. Um, and it's Gibson Les Paul uh, Classic in the middle there. Um, the Gibson Les Paul Classic. But you know, I want—I I just want to do a brief a brief conversation about the whole. List what do you think? And what overall. do you think? Shh. Yeah, go ahead. So, if you look at this list overall, like I see a lot of Fender, I see a little Gibson, and I see yep. a little PRS. And it's actually yep. like kind of weird that ESP is like right in number ten with the EC one thousand. Like it's like yeah. a weird guitar in a list of guitars that basically come from Fender, um, which it's not shocking. We know that Fender has had probably the best decade they've ever had, um, and I don't think that they're always going to be perennially popular the way they have been lately. 
because I've lived through a time period where like vendors were kind of like, that's a blues guitar. Um, but it certainly looks like the current generation is very in line with Fender. Um, 13 of the 20 most popular sold guitars on Reverb out of 20 is Fender. That's amazing to me. It's not amazing to me. It's amazing to me. But it speaks to that other thing we've talked about with Fender, and that is the SKUs. They have enough to suit every possible need. They do. I mean, it. it's obviously working. Uh, actually, I think it's interesting, though. So this is this is the other side. So we've been bitching about PRS pricing. Look at the PRS guitars that are in this list. The Silver Sky is $2,400. The, the SE Custom 24 is like a little over $1,000. Um, actually, that that's a custom twenty four. It's it's no a, the CE twenty the CE twenty four. That's uh oh the no, custom, no, the, the SE custom twenty four. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's then, like eight hundred bucks. And then the yeah. C, the CE twenty four is like twenty one hundred, I think, or twenty two hundred. Yeah. So like, none of their high end stuff is in this list. None, none. of it, and that none. speaks to the fact that they don't sell used, right? Like that's why they're not on this list. They would have at least a couple more guitars in this list, but they don't sell used, which is why their used no. prices are low. Um, yep. it, people who buy PRSs want new ones. That's right. They want them. They want them because I don't. People who are who are buying PRSs and having been that guy, um, they buy them for the beauty and the color and the yeah. It, it matches the the which is what he's saying. Because even Paul, I heard an interview today, and he goes. You know, he's like somebody had a dragon and they're like, man, I finally I plugged in this dragon. It was like, like 10, 15 year old dragon. I plugged in this dragon. Man, it sounds great. And he goes, you haven't plugged it in yet. <laughs> you know, like what the hell are you buying this for? <laughs> well, you the dragon. When I first looked at a dragon, I got on a list for the dragon. I think I told you that story. Um, one of the early dragons. It was like 2000 or 2000. Yeah. When they were, ten, when they were $10,000. Now they're like $30,000. Yeah. And I pulled my name, not because I was afraid I was going to get one, but because I had been on the list for like two years and never got a, never got anything. And I was like, well, I'm not going to, I'm obviously not going to get one. Right. Um, so, and I think I was, I was on a list with some um, dealer in uh, DC, but anyway, it, it, it's not important. The point is that, that it might've been New York. I don't know. Anyway, the, the point is that, that, uh, Getting one of those was just frustratingly difficult. Even getting a decent custom 24 at that time, you were on a wait list sometimes six, eight months. Yeah, um, they didn't catch up with their backlog until like 2009. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they actually mentioned that they caught up with their backlog in 2009 um, and actually had months to figure out how to situate themselves in the marketplace because of the, the economic downturn that occurred. Uh, so but that's, you know that's who's mentioning. You know who's missing? Look at the brands that are missing. There's not a single Music Man or no, no Schecter. No Schecter. I'm kind of surprised no, that we uh, don't see a Music Man, uh, the the John Petrucci one, because given the fact that you know there are other signature models on this list that apparently don't sell as high as his. Right. Guess what? That's why I'm not surprised. Yeah, that's if I, that's if why if we I talked about it on that last episode, you know, because. Um, I don't see them fly up. No. I'm not saying they're not great guitars. They're, they're great guitars. No, 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 no. I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying he 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 had a diarrhea of the mouth 
and seemed to indicate that he had the best-selling signature model of all time, yet he's not appearing on a 10 yeah. best list or 20 best list. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not so sure that those numbers are accurate. Again, um, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm not shocked that a Gibson Les Paul standard wound up on the list, much less two of them. I am more shocked that not a single Epiphone wound up on the list. No, they are good I'm selling not, guitars. I'm not. No, they still have a horrible. Um, they have a horrible reputation, though. Like Ibanez is not on the list. That's nothing. surprising. That shocked me. Um, Gretsch, nothing. That's uh, not surprise. They're I, I low, mean, they're a low key brand. They they always sell well, but they're they're under the radar. Yep. I'm not surprised by Rickenbacker. I'm not surprised by. Uh, Rickenbacker is uh, never going to be on a list like that. I mean, they just don't make no. enough guitars to be on that list. They don't make enough guitars, yeah. There's not enough even but, in the but, used market. But Schechter kind of surprised me they're not on that list. Um, yeah. I'm not. I'm also surprised not a single Ibanez made that list. I'm really shocked that not a single Ibanez. There's not something in the lineup that sells very well. But when you, when you specify a list like this, when you take it by skew... I'm not shocked. Maybe if they had gone brands. This yeah, because like, right. like if you look at Ibanez, like how many different SKUs do they produce? And everybody's buying a different SKU. Like it's like I right. want an RG. If you could put Ibanez right. RG on the list, that would be one thing. But no, there's the RG 470. There are RG, yep. you know, 570. There's the RG 570S. There's, you know, yep. <laughs> it just it starts getting yep. crazy. Um, yep. So that makes sense. Yeah. Even in their prestige series, it's like all over the place. Um, so I, it, it kind of makes sense to me. I'm just shocked that none of them made it onto the list. Um, but, you know, it's hard to outsell the Fender Squire. It's out, hard to outsell um, some of these other models. Acoustics. Let's look. Let's talk acoustics real quick. Uh, you can talk Gretsch acoustics. I, I thought it was interesting that, that the acoustics, that the breakdown here, was was real interesting to me, but I you can talk about the acoustics more than I want to because I, I actually want to skip the amps as quickly as we can. Yeah, I, I want to go to the amps quick. I just want to talk about the top five. Here's here's two in the top five that I didn't get surprised by. I'm actually surprised they're not number one and number two. And that's the Taylor the Taylor GS Mini Mahogany and the Taylor GS Mini Color. Because at, at number two and five. Yeah, those are number two and number five. The, you know, I'm the Fender Acoustasonic Telecaster does not shock me. There was a big push for those in the beginning, and a lot of people are dumping them. So I'm not surprised to see a shitload on the used market. There's there's some on the used market here locally, and people can't even get the fourteen hundred bucks they want for them. Yeah, uh, barely used. Uh, this market, I mean, this one does have the D28. I was, I was kind of shocked to see the Jim Dandy, the Gretsch Jim Dandy at, at number one, only because Jim, Jim there's a there's a glaring thing here. Jim Dandy yeah. is a parlor size guitar. A that's GS right. Mini is a parlor, parlor size guitar. Size, that's right. A PRS SE Parlor, which is number four, parlor. is a parlor yep. guitar. A GS Mini Ecoa is also a mini guitar. The Martin Backpacker yep. is a portable guitar. The Little right. Martin, the little Martin went is all a parlor. the way down to seven. These are reduced size guitars. I would even argue that the Amender, the American Acoustasonic, is a reduced size guitar. Yes. Yep. Um, 
the acoustic sonic jazz masters number eight again another reduced size guitar and then we finally get to a full size guitar with the gibson j45 which is not even a full size it's a jumbo <laughs> you could fit these other guitars right. inside it <laughs> that's right the cordoba another one that's uh, on the list it's number 13 again that's a that that cordoba c5 that's concert so that's barely above a um uh Parlor size. Wait, 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 the wait. The other Sonic. I'm a, I'm confused by number fifteen. Was that a tie? Yeah, that's weird. How is that a tie? How is that a tie? Yeah, that has they to got be a, a three way tie down below on number nineteen. That just sounds to me like yeah. they wanted to list more on this list rather than actually uh, the, try to yeah, sort the, out. Yeah. And again, the baby Taylor. If you're going to buy a, a, a mini size guitar, I got to be honest with you, that's probably one of the most full sounding baby size guitars I've ever played. In I, my think life. G, I think I, the GS ones are better, but per, that's personally. Yeah, personally, I'd buy a GS mini before a baby, but that's beside that's me. I I'm probably going to add a mini Koa or a, a GS mini to my mahogany to my collection because. When I buy another guitar, I don't need another electric. I'm thinking another acoustic, possibly. It would definitely be a GS Mini. Um, I, so uh, let's get to the amps. Yeah. So no, it, before we skip, before we skip ahead, just just note that this like this list is like got a lot of variety on it. But right yep. now, what's selling? Small acoustic Small guitars, guitars, which tells you sing, right. singer songwriter thing, and yep. it tells you possibly. And I'm not I'm not trying to be sexist here possibly yeah, a slant towards women. women buying acoustic electric guitars and elect and acoustic well, guitars. Um, well, so the, the, the history, and again, I'm not, um, I'm only talking facts, not, not, uh, throwing my two cents into it. The history of guitar, women played guitar more than men. Correct. Um, and especially at home. It was, and, it was uh, meant for small group entertainment. So the whole idea of right. the parlor guitar was when you were entertaining guests in your parlor. Um, that's right. So some people had pianos. Other people had classical, and, classically oriented guitar. Um, that's right. It's and also, some folks had both. And, and a lot of women were playing those parlors. The dreadnoughts were built for when men they, were playing them out on bigger stages. And, and to be louder, basically. That's and, right. and when you were playing in a, in a small room necessarily need to be loud to entertain your guests um That's the right. other the other thing that the reason why i said that that could be a more female focused land is just talking to acoustic guitar manufacturers and their reps like they tend to say that those guitars are more oriented in that direction case in point like if you look at like the taylor swift signature as a gs1 and um yeah. they very well could have given her any taylor signature they wanted you know but they she decided that she wanted a smaller one and um, even yeah. if you look at like hard guitars and stuff like that, when those companies came out, they were building smaller bodied versions of basically similar shapes to other people. So it's just, it's, I think more and more people are finding you don't need a big one. Um, my, my guitar rep or my, my Sweetwater rep, uh, Drake, um, he I'm doesn't a, strike me as a little guy. I'm a big fan of my concert. Yep. And he, <laughs> he, I asked him, I said, so what guitar is your number one? And I was expecting him to say a Strat or a Tele or something like that. And he told me GS Mini, Mahogany, GS Mini. So not surprised at all. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so let's move on to the amps. Oh, my God. Can I take this one? Yeah. All um, right. All right. I got to so, look them up. So number one is the Fender Mustang Micro. 
Number two is the Boss Katana MK2. Um, Mortal Kombat. No, I'm kidding. Uh, number three is the Positive Grid Spark 40. Number four is the Orange Micro Dark. And, I, and I'm starting to get a look on my face like, what the hell? Um, number five is the Orange MT20 Micro Terror. Uh, number six is a Yamaha THR 10-3. What world are we living in? Number seven is a Yamaha THR 32. Number eight is a Vox AC15C1. That is yep. the first gigable amp on this list that isn't like a katana, okay? Um, number nine is an Orange Crush CR35RT. What? Um, number 10 is a Fender Tone Master Deluxe Reverb. Number 11 is the Fender 65 reissue, reissue Deluxe Reverb, which is really interesting because they're neck and neck. Tone Masters yeah. are selling better <laughs> used, basically is what that boils down to. The uh, Fender Rumble 100 Boss Katana Boss Katana Mini, it was a, which is a um, that's a two-way that's tie. A two-way tie for number twelve. Number thirteen is the Boss Waza Air. I do not consider that an amp. We are when still, we get done. I'm gonna I'm no, gonna but, talk but, about but like I many of these are amps, like the Fender Mustang Micro, the Positive Grid Spark Forty, the Micro Dark, the Micro Terror. These are at home like practice amplifiers, and uh, yes, it's an amplification device. But it is wild to me that these are like wildly outselling things that are gigable um and it just indicates we have a new player we have like a new group yeah. of players or we have people that have they're looking for a serviceable at-home amplifier because they right, right now realize my half stack i've been playing through in the basement when the wife's at work ain't working no more um yep. so uh i realize yep, that's like a the totally sexy thing so uh, the Fender's Blues Junior 3 is number 14. The Marshall DSL 20HR is number 15. Uh, number 16, we have the Fender Champion 20. And number 17, we have the Orange Terror Stamp 20. Again, more small amps. Um, yep. At number 18, we have the Fender Rumble 40 V3. Uh, and number 19, this is where it starts getting wild. This should not be considered an amplifier, and you know that. No. Too. The Kemper the Amps Profiler Kemper. Stage is not an amplifier. Why we made the top body. Yeah, why is this even in this list, though? I know. The stage is not. Yours was an amplifier. Mine, right. that's what mine is. It's not an amplifier. The Marshall Studio Vintage SV20H Mark II. Um, All right, is, so we. Right. Just, so what what can we call from this? All right. First thing, first thing first. Like, first thing I pointed out was that practice amplifier sold really really well last year like on another level of well um because traditionally this list is dominated by like the blues junior the pro junior yep. the yep. uh the katana is always in the top three now because it's because it's around out and it, it didn't just point it's a number two um but you'll see like a vox ac15 in there oh, yeah. and then you'll see where is the fender hot rod deluxe it's not even on this list. And we know that thing sells unbelievably well, which is why I'm pointing out that this is this list is definitely skewed towards what happened last year with people buying new equipment that have never bought anything before. Well, and and they were buying equipment because they were stuck at home. Right. And so why buy the big amp? I'm pointing to an amp you can't even see because it's out of shot. But uh, why buy the big amp? What are you do with it? My 
my Marshall has seen more dust particles this year than it has seen in a long time. Well, I've been saying because that for a while is that like we should all be looking for a solution that we can play at home. Ideally, that's what we want to have as an amp that we can get along right. with in our house and not, you know, tick off all our kids and neighbors and all that stuff. Right. But like this is on another level. This is way beyond my my, ex, my wildest expectations for this because yeah. it, the amps on the list aren't necessarily like that much difference in price in some cases to, you know, your small tube amp offerings. Um, and it's just kind of, st- what, what is wild to me is that the orange micro stuff is selling. Cause I'm not a big fan of not a big fan of them at all. Um, like the micro dark, the micro terror, um, even the crush, like the orange crush 35 for real. What the hell is that, that doing thing, on this list? You know what? It is, you know what it's about. That thing has got it's aesthetic. Just, dim. It, it's aesthetic. People like a, the orange just, look. <laughs> no, no, no. It, what what I was about to say. The reason it sells because we'd get a lot of people. I get a lot of people in the store that would buy that, and I it always treat pick my interest because I bought one, and I wasn't crazy about it. I returned it. The noise is like really bad on them. The, the <laughs> They're yeah, but noisy. at that price point, you're getting a switchable amp. It's it's a relatively inexpensive amp. I think it's still under three hundred dollars, and yet you're getting a switchable amp with thirty five ohms. It's got the orange, so it's it's an orange. In case you're a metal player or whatever that likes oranges, which is um, funny because they're really it's got a, yeah, an effects anyway. loop. Yeah, it's got an effects loop, and uh, it's got reverb built in. So one by ten, um, it's and, a one, one by ten as well. Yep, and it's got an uh, the the output, so you can go out and you can still um, uh, it, it, and it goes to the PA. Oh, and it has um, a built-in on, tuner, and it has a built-in tuner. Yeah, and you know what's funny to me? If there's anything that the Katana doesn't have that I would think that an amp like that would everyone have, asks why doesn't it have a tuner? Got a tuner. It doesn't have a built-in tuner. I got to be honest with you. If I was if I was boss, I'd say. Buy a headstock tuner, you loser. Give people <laughs> a, put a headstock tuner in the box with it. Yeah, yeah, I think they should. I but here's the thing that shouldn't be on that. I'm going to give you three things that should definitely not be on that list. We can start with that Kemper Profiler stage. I yeah, have one. That it shouldn't be on, be on the list. list. Um, a Fender could... Mustang Micro. Bullshit. I can yeah. I call bullshit on that one. And the other one is the where is it? There's one more. Oh, the Boss Waza Air. Yeah, those are not really. But I mean, if you take those off, you have to take the Yamaha THRs too. So I I would say that that one's okay. But I would say that the the Mustang Micro. Really okay, guys, the Mustang Micro and the Kemper Profiler off the list. Really, guys. Those are two that should not be. Boss Katana dominated that list as far as I'm concerned. Well, the funny, I, the funny thing about the Mustang Micro is it's so cheap. It's like yeah. Or first off, it doesn't have speakers. If it doesn't have speakers, it shouldn't be on this list. Um, or can't connect to a speaker, it shouldn't be on this list. Also of note is that I don't think there's a single head on here until you get to the Marshall Studio Vintage. You know so what this tells head, me? Head, though, ca- also, head cabinets are not selling. No. You know what this also tells me? Because there's no like new online sales of the of the Spark on here. Mm-hmm. This tells me people are dumping their Sparks. Oh, yeah. No, Absolutely. Absolutely. The Spark is not as good as people want it to be. Uh, the Katana, there are people that have, there are companies that have new and used on here. So I can see that's new and used. 
but the but the positive good spark, there's no new sales on here except for somebody who got one, didn't like it. Period of discussion. Can I? Can I? Or got some, one, didn't want it. Can I point something else out? They list the Boss yeah. Katana Mark II, but that actually which encompasses one? a whole line of amps. Right. That's what I was going to say. Which one? So is it was the 50 watt? Is it the 100? Right, the 100? Is it all of them the combined? Because I have a feeling well, it's all of them combined. And it, yeah, okay, of course they're going to dominate this if you combine them all. Um, but by that same token, then you should probably include the Tone Master, the Tone Master line, and not just the Deluxe Reverb. So since we're on this list, let's talk about the pedals. Yeah, I want to talk about the pedals. Actually, that's a big that's deal fair. to me. That was the one so, that struck me the most. I was like, whoa. This is a weird list. Um, the ones that were released in 2021, um, I was shocked to see Earthquaker dominate that list. Oh, the 2021 release thing, I, I just kind of rolled my eyes out. Um, yeah. So, I, Astral Destiny. Because the Rat Pack made that list, and it's only been out for a week. <laughs> yeah. So, the Astral Destiny doesn't, doesn't shock me being on this list. Because it's yep. sort of like that's what Earthquake are sort of known for doing. And, of course, the Hizumitis, which I think... Yep. The Atreides literally... didn't, didn't shock me. No. Atreides, Atreides. Um, the R1, the ACS2 didn't... The ACS1 um, from Walrus didn't shock me. Um, nope. Even the JHS pack rat popping up there because that's a pedal that people would just buy. They would just oh, yeah. impulse buy that. I, um, almost, I almost impulse bought it. I just got a rat. The, 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 the HM2W... It's not a surprise yep. to me either because that's another no. impulse buy for a lot of people. Yep. Um, I've almost bought one. The SD one fortieth. That's kind of a shock to me. Um, yep. You know what's crazy though? So most of the pedals on this list are under two hundred bucks, with the exception of like the Walrus Audio Mako uh, stuff. The Universal yeah. Audio Starlight Echo Station is on there. That's the U A one of the U A D pedals. Those are four hundred dollars. Yep. I know. And they round out number nine and ten. That's right. Which is interesting. Um, I actually know somebody who just got the uh, Golden Reverberator, and apparently it's like it walks on water. I mean, it's like that good. So, um, but it's I just think it's interesting that that uh, like the Pack Rat ended up on here. The Earthquaker stuff doesn't surprise me because the Earthquaker like Earthquaker released twelve pedals in a year, and like three of them will be like huge hits, and the rest of them people will forget about. Like that's that's kind of how they do it. They just throw things against the uh, against the chain link fence to see what goes through. Um, so some of it'll get through, some of it won't. Um, yep. Can we talk about best pedals overall now? The ten best. Yeah. Okay. So last year, I remember the list vividly. It was Tube Screamer at number one. We don't even see a Tube Screamer on this list until number eleven, which leads me to like start questioning a lot of things about how they're organizing this list now. Because we all sort of know that the Tube Screamer is probably the best-selling pedal of all time. I I do want to say that number one was partially my fault. I bought two of those damn things. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the Keeley Compressor Plus. So, like, I can't believe that's number one. I Me can't either. believe a compressor <laughs> is any compressor. I don't care what it is. The least is sexy num- pedal of all time. Is number one. <laughs> because most people can't even hear compression. Like, that's yeah. been my experience when I sit with somebody and I tell them this record's highly compressed. They look at me and they go, what are you talking about? Yeah. And, and I have to explain to them volume compression. And then, like, I can hear it on the album, but they can't. 
And this right. is not something I've always been able to do. So I know that like this is a skill you develop and anybody can develop it. But that many people developed it to put this pedal at number one. <laughs> like this yep. is wild to me. I just can't. I think, I think more people are using it as a booster. I think uh, people are buying it as a hype machine. Everybody yep. says it's the compressor to have. I have to have a compressor, even though I don't necessarily yep. know what it does. Um, and, and I think guitar, it is a good compressor. Well, and I think a lot of people buy them because they want to do the country compression thing, which is really limiting. Um, yep. People think that's compression. That's actually limiting. Um, yep. <laughs> so there's a bit, bit of a difference there. But um, well, I mean, uh, you right. can use it to, to about, do that. But um, what about the di- what about the ditto in number two? Not surprised. Not not neither am I. Again, cheap looper. Again, you got people. Yep, it's a cheap looper. People are playing at home. I mean, most of the most of the guitar uh, uh, communities that I'm in, um, and you're probably there as well. Talk about which looper should I get? Which looper should I get? So, and that ditto comes up a lot. What um, I, number three is kind of shocking though. You helped that number. <laughs> I did, but I didn't buy through reverb, so I really didn't help that number. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I didn't either. I didn't get by my. But it is clearly. interesting that the, the HX Stomp is actually number three on this list because that tells you that people are willing to spend. Because I, I think this is purely driven by the pandemic. Yeah, I need a device that does all the effects and stuff that I can yep. use at home with headphones. Yep, that's it. Okay. With headphones and and USB right into my computer. Right. And uh, again, doesn't stop have a looper built in? Yes. Yeah. So. So the Boss DS1 Distortion, that nope, is a perennial favorite. That's usually number two. Um, yep. The Hologram Electronics Microcosm at number five. Yeah, that's... Like, that's for, we're one. real to really? have the yeah. Hologram Electronics Microcosm at number five. It's just mind-boggling to me. We're talking about yep. a pedal that's all about, like, ambience and... Yep. It's. I guess it's got a looper in it. I mean, I know what it is, but I'm like, I've never really looked at it. It's a granular. So it's, it is a granular synthesis, I guess. That is not cheap. 450 yeah, no. bucks. Dude, dude, keep going. Five, wow. 560 yeah. used. Used. Cause you can get a new one. I remember when these came oh. out and people were like, what are you going to do with that? Apparently I they're know, really popular right? now. Um, yeah. So that's yeah. the, the microcosm. The pro so there's people rat, like me who've never heard of them. The pro crow. I'm rat, not surprised by that. No, and that's usually in the top five, you know. And the reason I'm not shocked is with all these rat clones, what that does. Let's face it: if you're proco, people are like, really? People are why are they cloning that? And then they look at them and look. A rat is what fifty bucks. Yeah, they're, um, they're like peanuts. You say, yeah, fifty dollars. You can get a brand new one for fifty two eighty nine, mm-hmm. free shipping. And now, I mean, and now there's on. all these these uh, these third party copies that are like real cheap that sound really good, like the one from TC, um, yeah, that came out this year. Um, yeah, so I, I can understand why that would actually drive people to go. Uh, wait a minute this this one from from uh, Wampler or JHS is a hundred or more, and I can get this one for fifty bucks. And they're copying this. I'm yeah. gonna buy this. So wait, can't blame people for that. So there's also the carbon copy on the list, which is normal. Yep. Blues driver. Yep. Strymon iridium. I have those. Strymon yep. iridium. That's Strymon's mm-hmm. first entry on this list, by the way, um, which that's is kind of interesting. 
uh, the boss SD1 Super Overdrive. Finally get the Tube yep. Streamer. Earthquake yep. Devices Plumes, which is also a Tube yep. Streamer. Do you know why That's those true. are? Do you know why those are neck and neck, Jim? Maybe this is why the Tube Streamer lost the top spot because they're the same pedal. Yeah. Okay. One is the EQD version, and they've been doing sales yep. on the EQD versions, and you can get them for like nothing. So that's basically what that yeah. boils down to. So they kind of ate each other's sales. Yeah. Um, there's the EHX op amp big muff reissue. Uh, and then, of course, now we get into tuners. And I really kind of think that, that tuners really shouldn't be present on this list. But okay. No. This is the TC if- Polytune 3 and the TU3 yeah. are, you know, yeah. in the next thing there. We've got the basic Crybaby, your, yeah. key, your Keeley Caverns Delay Reverb, which I'm surprised is not higher in the list. Yep. Um, the Morning Glory, which is yep. always on the list. That's it. And yep. then the G- that's their that's their uh, what do you call it, right? The Morning their, Glory uh, Blues the, Breaker. Yeah. And the then Blues Breaker. And then the GE Seven and the Digitech yep. Drop. But I think this is interesting okay, so. because you see that like when you see very very high end items breaching yep. the top five, you yep. know that pedal prices are about to go up for real. Yep. Um, well, we we talked about, and I think we did an episode last year discussing um, high end pedal companies like uh, Vemuram, and I think yeah. that's we're headed for. You're going to be paying three hundred bucks for a boutique for a boutique overdrive. Unfortunately, hey, that's a reality yeah. now. I'm still waiting for my four hundred dollar pedal. <laughs> I, I want to say this. So, of all those pedals, I, I'll ask you of the set to tell me the same thing. I own. Let's see, one. Two, uh, three, four, five, six, seven. I sold one, but I had. Yeah, no. Count, count it if you count it if you have owned them. Yeah. Oh, nine, ten. <laughs> so I've owned. Oh, one, eleven. One, two. Twelve. One, two, um, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I've owned eight pedals on that list. Some of yep. them more than once. Yeah, I own. I own one more than once. I own two T- Keeley Boss. Or Keeley Compressor Twos. I own two of them. Yeah, I think I'm a little. Um, I think I'm just a little bit more abstract than you. I tend to buy stuff that's not as, you know, the one that surprised me that wasn't on the list is the BB preamp. It's just isn't a BB preamp, but it is a BB preamp. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I'm kind of surprised what, that there's nothing from Exotic on there. Yeah. Okay. So I was gonna say, you know what? Some shocked Exotic SP two or the the compressor. Yeah, the super um, sweet or any of those different yep, pedals none of they those do. Was on there. Um I'm so, I'm shocked to see uh Let's keep it that way. PC. I want to keep the prices down. <laughs> I I'm surprised to see no TC electronic stuff on there. Um none of their stuff. I, only because it's big seller, yeah. not because it's I good. mean realistically We sold a lot of those things. There are two sold. TC pedals on there. There's the Ditto. Oh, yeah. The, well, and the Polytune. The, the Polytune. Um, I and don't the cheap line, remember. We did. And the cheap line from TC is not available at other retailers other than Guitar Center and Sweetwater. Uh, that's true. That's what I was thinking of, was all those cheap ones. Yeah, no, those are not selling well outside of the big chains. 
um, yeah. because nobody wanted to stock them. In fact, um, the only TC dealer, mom and pop, I had around, they don't deal TC anymore because TC pissed in their Wheaties when they decided that when Behringer bought them and they decided to try to make them take on Behringer. That's so true. That was a whole thing that happened behind the scenes. And I think some of those dealers actually escaped that. But realistically, like when a dealer when when Behringer bought them and they were like, now we're going to make you're going to make metal housing versions of our pedals. People yeah. sort of lost their minds and were like, no, you're not going to do that to TC because TC was a powerhouse, man. TC made some incredible stuff right up until the end of their tenure uh, outside of Behringer. So I was shocked not to see the big, um, well, the big muff reissue got out. Um, so I guess that one's, I mean, that's the op amp run. That's the one you yeah, got me, right? That's the op amp. Yeah, right I think now. that's the op amp. So that one made the list, and I do have that one. So that's 13. I have 13 of these 20 pedals. Mm -hmm. I have or have had 13. Of, I have like 10. I forgot about the uh, the op amp one. I have like 10 or 12 of these uh, right, right now. All right, Jim, best pedals on this list. Just get just throw yep. one out. Just throw one out. What's the best pedal on this list for you? Best pedal on this list, the one that I absolutely love on this list, seriously, my Blast Blues Driver 2. I'm I mean, not, not going to count my tuner. I still think that's one of the most important pedals to have, but the Boss Blues Driver. I was just going to say, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat on this a little bit. I'm going to say anything Boss on this list because Boss DS1, um, yep. the, B, the BD2, the SD1, uh, yep. the, even the tuner, everything that they have on this list, the GE7, is legendary. Like yep. it is known for doing something very, very well. And many, yep. many people have used it. I cannot stress this to you enough. If you're starting out with guitar and you're buying effects and you're not buying boss stuff to begin with, like you're yep. doing it wrong because you probably should yep. start off with that stuff first. Cause even yep. the pros still use that stuff. Um, that's right. I have a DS one. Yeah. I can never do this to this mirror image right there. Right yep. there. And up above yeah. that, there are other boss pedals. I promise you, above that shelf, there are other boss pedals. And the only reason I can't show you my boss pedals right now are because they are on, on your my board. board, which is out there. Um, it hasn't come out of, of the um I have a board underneath my yet. I have a board underneath but my it, desk with boss stuff on it right now. But I've got my foot on boss stuff underneath my desk. I have two boss or two pedal boards. And both of them have boss pedals on them. And probably, you know, and, and I have... Probably uh, some of the stuff that's on a... this list. Right. Not no, just yeah. boss pedals, but Not some of the stuff probably. that's on this list. Yes. Yes. The the TU-3, the BD-2, the um, DS-1. I, I like the, the TU-3 so much, I bought the Waza version. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You did. I have the regular one. You have the Waza one. I had because I was asking I you, both. should I get the should I get the Waza? Um, I got. I wound up with this guy, um, but uh, that's better the, for what you're using is, it for. <laughs> for what I'm using it for, this is better. But I'll be honest with you. Now this is going to go on a board, and then the because um, I'm making a board for the camper. Um, the uh, um, the the. I'm going to get the Polytune, you know, the one I can mount on the wall, change the color, all that shit. But the the fact is, I, I probably don't even need it because I have this one. But, um, 
you know, I'm trying to set up a shop and you got to look professional to people when I come in. But anyway, so um, the the fact is that, that what I'm getting at is boss makes you can make your whole pedal board. When I was jo when I was I wasn't joking when I said I want to do the the um, the JHS one, but there will be one pedal on there that's not JHS. It'll be the boss TU3. Because it's white. I mean, that's, <laughs> <laughs> and it's white, so it'll work. I mean, it, it's funny that that um, I'm saying that, but to be honest, to, to be totally honest with you, is, um, if, you're, if you're buying a board that, that you're going to put stuff on, the boss stuff is great. I mean, you know, people can sit and talk. Now they're talking Donner, right? That's the new budget um, thing no. and stuff like that. But no, <sighs> it's boss. Always has, always has been always yeah. has been um i i i my mouth fell open during this because i had a i had this realization jim yep. is going to have a black board with yep. all of the white pedals on it from jhs yep. with a tu3 and a yeah. white les paul custom yeah <laughs> plugged into a white <laughs> amplifier <laughs> Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and and you're gonna have a white Stetson on while you're doing it, probably. So yeah, let's that's just actually... <laughs> let's just keep this all. I don't know what I can say about this. That's like PC and, and not you know like because because yeah. I just feel like with 2020 well, being the way it was, like this is an awful conversation to have. <laughs> it's black and white. Uh, yeah, I, it sure you know is. Funny? You know what's funny? What What am I going to feed the PA? Um, oh, through uh, a Captor X, which is also white. <laughs> a Captor X. I just noticed that when I looked over. I was like, oh my God, that's white and black too. <laughs> I, I should I should learn that uh, song by um, uh, Michael Jackson. It doesn't and, matter uh, if you're black or white. Slashes on that. But. But anyway, yeah. So, so uh, I gotta say, uh, I think we're probably um, going into the gig reports. Yeah, we definitely need to switch gears. <laughs> this conversation was gonna go off the rails, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm much much happier having switched topics. All right, gig reports. I'll go first. This is customary. Um, yep. Custom Mary. If you're still listening to us. Uh, congratulations. You've made it to the final segment. Uh, please, if you've listened this long, you can click the notification icon. It's okay. That's right. Um, and, and definitely subscribe and, you know, do whatever it takes to find us again. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so gig report, uh, normally, you know, if you're, if you, if, if this show is customarily something you listen to, um, we do, we do a coverage of a gig like or set of gigs that we did over the over the period between recordings um this has only been one week since the last recording just to, and i, I want to say that because um we've been doing it sporadically and it's not always immediately clear how much jim and i are actually out playing in in local in our local community um this week i played a rehearsal um which i don't think i talked about on the last episode did I talk about the uh, the drum projection and all that? I know I showed it to you. I didn't know if I talked about it. Yeah, you talked about that last time. Okay, all right. So this week we had an open jam. Mm -hmm. um, we, 
I want to say I had that rehearsal this week too, though. We had an open jam, we had rehearsal, and then we did. Uh, I actually went to a place called the Cooley Underground uh, last night. Um, so I'll, I'll talk about the open jam a little bit. It's um, you know, I I, I said I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna tell the whole story. I'm not gonna tell the whole story, but I will I will say this. I'm I'm learning to deal with people who um they don't understand jam etiquette and they don't understand and i and i want to take just a moment aside from the gig report to talk about jam etiquette versus like an open mic so when you go to an open mic typically it's featuring the person that's called up on stage or the band that's called up on stage so there might be house musicians that accompany you but like they're there to accompany you okay when you're in an open jam, all of the people on stage are looking to play music together and to make something together in an improvisational way. And typically that's accomplished by saying, we're going to call a tune, a song that everybody, either everybody knows, doesn't know, knows the chord progression, and everybody's expected to figure it out on the fly and work together to make the song sound great. It's actually kind of like um, a group project, okay? Except that you're making art on the fly and it can be really, really fun, especially for, and challenging for experienced musicians. What we experienced this week was someone came in thinking it was an open mic. Okay. And it wound up getting into, you know, grandstanding and a little it, tempers flared. Someone actually left the stage during the middle of the performance. Um, Cause they were pissed didn't say anything, just got up and walked off. Um, and I wasn't totally aware of all of it until I realized that the bassist and drummer were working to end the song together. And that would have been at a certain time period in the song. And I kind of like looked at them and I was, and I realized that they were, they were kind of like, we need to wrap this up. And I'd already sort of fallen into that mindset anyway. I was like, when is this going to be over? And I, I don't do this enough to have the intuition to know that when my brain says, when is this going to be over? You should probably wrap this up. Um, I didn't make that connection. They did though. And they tried and then it continued. And then they finally just said, screw it. <laughs> and they ended the song regardless of whether the performer wanted them to or not. And so, um, I, that was my like I, that was my experience uh that that kind of like took me back a little bit i was like wait a minute i don't and actually from, from a personal perspective i don't remember ever being in a situation where i stepped on people's toes like that um i can always sort of remember being conscious of when the singer is singing i don't play you, you know not over them i play accompaniment um, and that when someone else is taking a solo, I play accompaniment. Um, and that, that is, we, we work together to build a space for other people to fill when it is their appropriate time. And that is why you have a band leader in a jam situation who calls tunes and also cues people, um, in various ways. They can nod to you. They can say your name over the microphone. They can point at you. They can do all sorts of fun stuff to get you, um, to step out of, out of your little box and do your thing. Um, 
But that's the difference between a jam and an open mic. So an open mic would be it would be perfectly acceptable for you to come up on stage, call a tune, have the guys just follow you and sit there and sing and play over everybody and just brutalize the whole thing. That is appropriate for an open mic. Um, that is not appropriate for an open jam. And in fact, in an open jam, it's downright insulting for you to behave that way. And what we had some situations occur where that happened more than once, um, sometimes to great hilarity. And it was just kind of, it was a weird situation. It, re it really was. I've never, I've never sat there and kind of thought to myself, do you pull this person aside and like talk to them to try not to embarrass themselves? Or do you let them figure it out on their own? Like, how do you handle this? And um, so it hasn't been handled yet. And this person is, uh, apparently going to be return. Well, the person or people will be returning. Um, we, we are pretty certain of that. So someone's going to have to deal with it at some point because, uh, unfortunately in many of these scenarios, there's alcohol involved. People start getting frustrated and yep. bad things happen. So, um, and that, I know that's going to relate to your gig report, but, um, or maybe your commentary or whatever, but, um, I also yep. wanted to take a, uh, moment to talk about Cooley Underground. So um, this is a more positive note. I uh, I went out um, actually at, at an open jam a couple weeks ago and got invited to go to Cooley Underground's uh, Friendsgiving party. Um, and they have um, they have a live music thing that they do actually in their basement. Um, and it is it's pretty wild. They got they got like all the lighting and stuff down there. They got four or five different cameras. Um, they have a little control booth over in the corner where they sit down and they actually like manage the multi-camera feeds and they stream it out. And Jim, you've seen Cooley Underground before because you watched uh, Bronson Rock play Cooley Underground with me. Um, and like, it was basically that thing, but I got there and like, there's a bunch of people there. It's all musicians, people I knew from the scene, some people I didn't know. Um, and just kind of like chilled. I played uh, one jam. It was kind of funny. We were, uh, Mike Mara, a show listener, was setting up uh, for Bronson Rock and um, he was getting his uh, his pedal boards up. He's like, here, you should play this. And I bring my PRS over and plug in, you know, and I start playing. And then the next thing I know, there's some other guy over here playing. And I'm like, oh, shit, I guess I got to play with this dude now. And and I was like, I looked at Mike and he's like, yeah, go for it. I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm not ready for this. I wasn't thinking. And um, I thought it was pure drivel, but apparently it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. But um, it was just it was a wild experience to be in a in a house full of musicians like um, just kind of chilling, like watching each other play, uh, shooting video. It was like, you know, it was kind of like, it was basically just a house party, you know, full, full of musicians though. Like not like a house party with like, you know, stand, standby people, but like actual musicians. And there were a couple, you know, like they bring friends or whatever, but it was mostly musicians. And, um, you know, you just show up if you were banned, like, Hey, can I do a set? And they're like, sure. 45 minutes. Here you go. And, you know, you set up, you play for 45 minutes and it was in a quiet little suburb. You walk outside and you can hear music, but it's not like, wow, the neighbors are going to be pissed kind of kind of loud um, inside their houses. They may not be able to hear it at all. Or if they do, it's like really faint, really faint. Um, so I thought it was cool. It's an interesting experience. There is a cottage industry of this stuff, I'm told. Growing up, um, people doing live streaming music out of their house with a little studio in the basement as a result of COVID-19. Um, and it's just a promotional thing that they can do to help make a little extra money here and there. 
um, and to, you know, kind of help the community a little bit, which is kind of cool. Uh, it was a great time. And I, I look forward, um, I hopefully will get invited back at some point. Um, I look forward to that if that's the case, but, uh, I had a good time. I ended up dodging out early though. Cause I was actually so tired. I was falling asleep. Um, I had to take my, my kid to the ENT, uh, for medical care, not, not like emergency care or anything that morning. So I was up super early. And by the time I got there, I was like, Oh, there's a band playing. And I had my, and the funny experience was I had my plugs in and the band that was playing was playing like, um, they were doing some jam stuff in the middle and like, it was very static kind of volume wise because I had my plugs in and I just dozed off. And the only reason I woke up was because my PRS was falling out of my lap. <laughs> and I went, Whoa, <laughs> sleep. It's not going to work. So, um, I waited until they finished, obviously, and I, I decided to, to jet, but um, it was a cool experience. So anyway, Jim, take it away. All right, so uh, we had, uh, I've got a couple of gig reports. So um, we had a uh, um, uh, some drama, if I'll call it that. Um, I would, one of the I would concur. That I normally go to. Um, a young man was uh, murdered outside of the uh, outside of the uh, place. Um, it was a it was just a senseless uh, act of violence, um, you know. And I'm not sure if it was random. I'm not sure if it was targeted, but I do know that uh, it was one of those people that you know. It's one of those people that's at the place normally. There's not a musician um, who uh, would go to the jukebox, pick music. Um, that they'd listen to before and during the, you know, breaks and, uh, was one of those people that would buy you a drink. If you was up at the, uh, up at the bar, when you were there, say, hey, man, it's on me, you know, every, every time. I mean, just a jovial person. Um, he's a regular. Yeah. A regular, a regular and a person that clapped every time that was, Oh man, love that. Love that song. Love that thing. And uh, yeah, gunned down, cold blood, uh, right there in front of uh, one of the uh, bartenders, young lady that works there. Um, so hopefully they figure it out um, and justice is, is served. But um, absolutely, yeah. um, one of those. Well, you know, from from my gig report last week, like we, we're involved in nightlife, and right alcohol and all that stuff get involved and sometimes there's drugs going around and there's you know people who show up drunk and some people they get violent when they're in those situations and and or it encourages them to lower their inhibition level and not think about the uh ramifications of their actions and i know i've i've had threats made against me as a result of going out and stuff and like fortunately most of the time said person is either not thinking correctly um and realizes the error of their ways very quickly or they're so drunk that they don't remember they made the threat um and so you just kind of laugh it off and you don't worry about it but like that situation cannot always be that way and it's you know learning to navigate our our landscape because we are part of that nightlife and because so many bad things happen at night is not yeah. i mean it's not something to be taken lightly i know people seem to like 
um, I conversations with other musicians and I explain some of the phobias and fears I have about getting into an altercation with somebody or something like that. And like they go, I've done this a thousand times. I've never had that happen, but it's like, it only takes once. Yeah. You know, you hear, you, if you write, if you never read your police blotter, your local police blotter, I guarantee you, if you start reading your local police blotter in your newspaper, you will read about shootings and stabbings. Yep. And when you read about stabbings, they're almost always outside of a bar or in a bar. And, and, yeah. and it's like, guys, that should be, you know, where do we go? Where do we, where do we do this stuff? We do it at bars, breweries, restaurants, the places where this stuff happens. And so we expose ourselves to that. And we need to be more vigilant about it and more vigilant, vigilant both about our own safety, but the safety of others and sort of like looking out for one another. I know that um, I have been known to sit on the parking lot and just kind of chill for a minute when I get in the car, making sure everybody gets out to their cars okay that, you know, like I'm friends with just to make sure that like nothing happens. Um, and uh, intervention is not always, you know, like get in the middle of it. Intervention can be as simple as dialing 911. Um, right. So it's... It's about just being vigilant, right? Like, and just realizing that maybe not everybody in the bar is a friendly person, or maybe when right. they when they drink the devil's juice, they turn into the devil, you know, because that happens. Um, I definitely have dealt with alcoholism in my life in various capacities, and um, I see I've seen people who, given the right situation and the right drink, can turn into obnoxious, awful people. Uh, That's right. And I'm not demonizing alcohol. I'm not demonizing bars. I'm not, I'm just saying that like people do dumb stuff. I mean, I've seen sober people do totally dumb stuff uh, over, yeah. over, you know, somebody cutting you off while driving down the road. Like I know it's infuriating, but is it worth it for you to get out of your car? And I believe me, I'm the first person to admit I have gotten out of my car many a time because somebody has done something to me that I felt endangered my life. Um, but as I've grown older, I've obviously mellowed and I don't do that anymore. Um, not to the extent I used to. In fact, I've got a funny story about somebody cutting me off going 75 miles an hour down uh, 90 into the city here. And I I got the opportunity to pull up alongside them and I rolled down my window and I took my Wendy's uh, biggie size drink and I hucked it into his truck. Okay. <laughs> Statute, to, statute of limitations has long passed on this. This was many, many years ago. And said person did not get into an accident as a result of it. But he could have. And I've always thought to myself, like, that was one of the dumbest things you could have done because I could have killed somebody. It was funny as shit when it happened because the guy freaked out and he, you know, he went like this with the wheel and the truck went like this and whatever, fishtailed. But it was like, dude he could have done that just too much and rolled his truck and killed like three people. Right. Um, but you know, it's, 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 as I said, we have to, we have to realize that violence can come from all forms and we just have to sort of like be willing to realize that in, especially in situations where people are under high stress, like performing, um, which I know people are like, Oh, well, I don't get stressed out about it listen stage fright is a huge thing for many people and you can't say that your feelings match the other feelings of the people in the venue that's right um that's right and so when you get wound up 
you have a tendency to get wound up and have reactions that are as a, a result of that. So when you told me that story, Jim, I, um, I was not shocked, but like, nope. it's, it's heartbreaking to hear that kind of shit happen to people. And for me, like, it just brought back a couple of moments I've had where either I was ready to fight somebody or somebody was ready to fight me. And I'm like, dude, you know, it is it is literally the same thing on the cusp of that. Now, now granted, this person that that um, passed was not I was murdered. Let's let's be yeah. let's be honest. It's a heinous crime, and yep. um, it is what it is. But uh, like, he wasn't even a performer. He was just somebody else that everybody, all the performers knew. Like, yep. um, and we don't know if it's motivated. What it was motivated by? If there was motivation, like we don't know any of that. But the reality is that it's when you put yourself into a situation where you're going into bars and stuff at night, you have to be on your toes. You do. Um, yeah. I I see people um, who consume large quantities of alcohol performing, and I often question like what would happen to them if they got into a situation like that because uh, you don't have your wits about you, and um, you know. I'm sure that uh, the likelihood of someone actually being murdered is very, very low and or and or getting into a fight is very, very low. But it can happen. It can put you in the hospital. I mean, I, I grew up around people that ended up in the hospital because they got into bar fights and stuff like that. Like, like really bad going to the hospital, like comatose. Not sure if they're going to make it bad. Um, yeah. So uh, stop the yep. senseless violence when you can. And don't yeah. participate in it. Um, it's an awful thing when it happens. I'm sorry that you had to go through that, Jim. I really am. Yep. yep. So um, we had that. Uh, had a gig Saturday. Um, and that gig was a lot of fun. A lot of things going on. Um, so I wanted to kind of spring this on you because it's a little hilarity. So we're kind of banned. Sometimes we'll bring somebody up that's in the in the crowd that we know personally yeah, that planned. has either played with the band or whatever yeah it's always pre-planned we we and we have a friend who um i do a lot of open mics with this guy and i go to karaoke with him i mean we're very good good friends and um everybody kept, tells me there it's like that couple you know they go oh you guys should date you know it's it, we're kind of like that you know you guys should be in a band together you guys sound so good together you should be a band together and, and we don't have the heart to tell people, yeah, well, you're not showing up when we are playing on stage together. So anyway, so we're um, we're playing this gig and, and I said, hey, Brian, come on up. And, and I gave him my guitar to play. Actually, no, he played the other guy's guitar the first okay. time and he'd never played Explorer before. And I had an Explorer. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah. And so. He loved it. He actually said, oh, man, that was a great guitar. Um, of course, Brian's a very nice guy. He didn't say he loved anything. You know what I mean? But anyway, so it was it was fun. He had a blast. We did 867539 Jenny. Um, just a fun little thing. Well, he gets off stage, and we're about to do um, uh, Pride and Joy. And I knew his favorite song was Pride and Joy. So I said, wait, 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 to the band. I said, wait. We're going to bring Brian back up. Brian, come on up here. Take my Les Paul. I had been playing the Strat earlier. 
Um, I played the strat for the first set, the Les Paul second set. Because I was trying to get everything settled in because we're two and a half step down now. So I gave him number one. I gave him Will Riker. And he throws Will over his shoulder and he, and they start doing the song. And then they went into um, uh, uh, Give Me Three Steps. And I love playing Give Me Three Steps, but I understand. They wanted to just get the, the songs going together. So... I run up on stage and I grab my strat, which is not plugged into anything. <laughs> and I'm standing there and we're doing this three guitar thing. And I got to get, my son took some video. So I got to get the video. Yeah, but you're not plugged so, in. I'm not. So I'm all swaling away. <laughs> and of course they're laughing their asses off me because I'm just miming the <laughs> One of those. One of those Super Bowl red hot chili peppers moments. I didn't care. It was the, the funniest part is if you stepped out and took a solo. Yeah, well, during the solo, we were go they were going, and so I was doing a fix. I thought <laughs> it would have been so funny. It would it would be funny to have uh something like uh what's his face uh, that does the the guitar fakery things, um C V T Oh yeah to do what would it sound like if he was actually playing fling, 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 fling. <laughs> just with some random shit because I didn't care. I was like, <laughs> it was just a lot of fun. <laughs> playing it, it over the back of your and, head, you know. And what's funny is people thought I was playing. So it's <laughs> Wow, you're playing on it, that was great. Yeah, you've been it, practicing. A lot. You've been practicing a lot, and you're like, "God damn it!" <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> it was nothing coming out." Um, so uh, yeah, that was fun. I also did the, the wireless thing, so I went out in the crowd and and sat down with people at their tables and played. So that was you know that that's always a, a thing. Um, it was just. Uh, you know, relatable, um, fun thing that, that uh, people were enjoying, and uh, I was certainly enjoying it. Uh, so it it's it's just it's nice to know that people are still out getting you know getting used to going out and having a good time and um, and you know enjoying each other's company. Uh, that that felt good. You know, whether it was responsible or not, I don't know, but it was still fun to do. Um, so anyway, yeah, that was the that was the extent of it. You know, the hardest part of that thing. I, so we get done, and of course you're tired. You just want to go home, but you want to get something to eat. So we we head up to Denny's, and it's freaking closed. I was just going to say, well, it was, during it the was open during the pandemic, but, like coming home from a gig, it's like the worst experience ever because ninety percent of places are closed now. Even though, even yeah. though, like pre-pandemic, you could have gotten like whatever you wanted. You could ate like a king. You oh know? yeah. The, when we were when a uh, pre-pandemic, I can tell you that in the in the early two thousands, um, a friend of mine who just passed away he was a guitar player I played with for a long time. Um. Just passed away uh, last week, and we we um, whenever we finished a gig, we would head to this place called Pop uh, Pops, yeah, Pops Diner, right? And 
We go Bob's. Sorry, it's Bob's. It's in Troy, New York. Anybody, if you're in Troy, New York, go to Bob's. Twenty-four by seven, down by a railroad tracks, a shitty part of town, but it's awesome. So we go to Bob's for dinner every time, and that was the place to go. My wife would come with me, and my friends. We, we, and everybody that was there. You know what was funny? Because it's two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. Guess who's there? All the other musicians. Oh, you can see it's like total musician scene. It had yeah. to be. So By it's necessity. all the musicians that don't want to go to Waffle House or whatever, you know, Denny's at um, two o'clock in the morning. They want to go to a place that's got a better food and better everything. And so it was a who's who of musical people um, that just finished gigs in in the evening, right. or I mean, uh, late early morning, I should say. Um, and you'd be you'd be sitting talking to somebody who may or may not have been playing with like Springsteen that, that night, um, you know. <laughs> well, you, it was out. You know, yeah. that, that's what I think. So, like, it's worth mentioning because you're talking about um, the late night thing and the scene, right? Um, yeah. People think of the scene that they're that they're in. Like a lot of times, they get this idea that the scene is either a really really small, like much smaller than they think it is, or b it's like this monolith and there's so many different performers in their area. I'm in a suburb. Okay. I'm, I'm about 30 some odd miles from, from the city itself. And, um, the places where I've been playing and hanging out, the scene I'm, I'm in is like 20 miles west of me. Um, and it's kind of interesting because, the people that are 20 miles west of me are also the people that are like in my backyard. They live in the same area. Um, and they all know each other. It's the same people. I went to that, the Cooley underground thing. And like, I met the dude that runs it. And he knew people that I already knew, like pretty much everybody I already knew, which is why it's like, wow, this is odd. How to come our paths keep crossing? Um, and um, this, it's been that story. Like when I go to when I go to open mics, if I start doing the open mic circuit again, it's the same people at every open mic. Um, and I know people are like, well, the scene's much bigger. Than there's much more. There's many more players. There's people playing in bands that don't do those things. But that's not necessarily the scene I'm in. You know what I'm saying? Like. Um, I'm sure that there are probably more gang musicians in the city, in the city area than you, you know, could possibly know, but still might be only two or 3000. Like yeah. at the end of the day, it's popular high school rather than popular grade school. That's, that's correct. It, it the fact is that the more you play open mics and with other people, um, a lot of people are like, how do you know so-and-so? Or how do you know so-and-so? And I'm like, well, our paths crossed. I mean, that's it, – it sounds so odd to them because they can't imagine that you would have jammed with somebody that plays for Springsteen or plays for Shania Twain or plays for whoever. That's like – I think the, <laughs> the live players, like the people that actually are doing live music, right, are a lot smaller in most places than people think they are. That yeah. The pool of the pool of people is much smaller, and and yes, I do know people that have been on stage with you know 
some of the bigger pros or have run into <clears throat> pros in different places. And right. like, it's just, there's not as many of us as people think there are. Um, right. Because the vast majority of music, it's so like, I, I've heard this said in, in a particular group that I won't mention their name, but that, that like, um, a lot of people team, seem to think that um, the musical community is equivalent to the amount of instruments sold. And it's like, well, not in the, not in the, you know, gigging world. Like no. the people that are actually playing live music and are in bands and stuff is probably, I would say 5% of the actual right. usage of instruments. Be yep. Because most people buy them and they put them in their closet, they hang them on the wall, they put them on a stand or it sits in the corner until it collects dust and then it gets sold. Like, yeah, they play them for a week and then they don't play them at all. Sometimes, like that guy that you talked about with the dragon, they don't play it for years. Or they just played at home, you know? And the yeah. guy the guy with the dragon was a collector and, and Paul was pretty pissed because he's I'm, like I'm sure. It's actually kinda interesting. Paul to hear Paul Reed Smith himself say, I don't like collectors. But then at the same time have his company basically sell to collectors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Which exactly. there was an interesting thing in there though. He said I'm not really I don't really get involved in marketing. I'm not part of the marketing department. Which tells you well, there's a little bit of this going on. He wants right. this, they want this, and they get what they want because they're the, they're the uh, professionals they're the of purchasers. what they do. That's right. You know, um, what we were just talking about, um, I know a lot of people who own instruments. And I know a lot of people who play out. Yeah. And the, and the funny thing is... Not that, outside scales. Is, well, yeah, that too, but... They, they play outside, out outdoors, out, out in the wild, right? In the world. Yeah. And and you never know who the person that you're sitting there jamming with that night has played with before. I, I regularly, regularly share a stage with a guy who sang with the Rolling Stones for years. I mean, he's got pictures he's got that he's got everything to prove it he sang with the rolling stones for years and i regularly play with him mm -hmm. and he's got a gig he's got a, a a band of guys that i i rotate through with them too so um you know it, it's it's one of those funny things that that, that just happens but you can't it, it, what i was going to get at is this that won't happen if you're that person that sits in your home and plays the YouTube scene. Now, I will say this. I watch like guys like Rod and, and, and I I want to save a uh, thing for next uh, next time. But I watch guys like Ryan Burke and, and Steve from Boston and all these people. They get together at these little things, but it's always the same faces. Right. And so it's almost like they're... they're um, Brian Stelter and Gutfeld. I mean, it's like they're they're the same people every time, which to me kind of gets boring because it's like, okay, yeah, I know, I already know your take on this. I don't need you to tell me from Germany and from 
L.A. and from this place and yeah. from that place, yeah. what your take on this stuff is. Because I already know it because you have a YouTube channel. You put up three or four freaking videos a week from your home. So I don't need you to go to L.A. and tell me, wow, look at this thing. That is exactly we know you're a what fan. I would have told you. We know what you. you're a fan of and we know what you're not a fan of. So. Yeah. I mean, it's not it, – it's unfortunate because what it is, it's a, it's what they call familiarity breeding contempt in that I'm already familiar with how you feel. I didn't need to see Gutfeld from Nashville to know what Gutfeld would say from New York City. And I don't need to see Brian Seltzer or Steltzer, whatever his name Setzer, is. Seltzer. Setzer? Yeah, Brian Seltzer. I love Brian Seltzer. But um, <laughs> I don't need to see Brian Stet, Stet, you know what I'm talking about, or, or any of the other insert – um, CNN, MSNBC. I'm just bringing bringing one guy from the left and one right, guy from right. the right because I don't really care about either one of them. Um, to you know, uh, I don't need to see Tom, Tucker Carlson over here and Don Lemon over here <laughs> in six different cities because I know what they're going to say. <laughs> I know exactly what they're going to say. I know what You're they're going to say before they do. <laughs> right. And unfortunately, the YouTube community for Guitar World has kind of come into that where I know what you I already know what you're going to say. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you'll try to shock me, but you're not going to shock me. You know, it, it, and unfortunately, that's that's becoming a um a regular thing. Uh, but I, I prefer, and, and and I am definitely not one of the norm. I prefer going out there and jamming with real human beings in real life um, things. I don't like sitting at home jamming with a jam track. It bores the shit out of me. And I know it's I know it's important, and I know that people do it. Excuse me, and I know all this other stuff. But I, from day one, it was you know five years old. Jimmy, sit down and play guitar with your grandfather and uncles and aunts. And yeah. so it's always been that way. And so, you know, when you talk about the, we talked about the parlor guitar earlier, there was somebody with a piano and it was somebody with a fiddle and it was somebody with a gut bass that only had two strings, literally just like the old days. Out of, out of, um, Cause it was the old days with a, with a pan or I mean a, a, a bucket and a, and a stick and a strings. And you, you did your best to make them sound good. Um, and so somebody would have a parlor guitar and it was always laying around. You could always play it. So I, I never, and sometimes it had all six strings on it. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> I mean you, know, it's like, you know, we grow up now and I don't, and I don't, I'm not saying anything bad about the world of people that are growing up now that, wow, some of these tools, I wish we had them, you know, I, I had to take a record and do this and I had to. You know, rewind tapes and and slow it down to three thirty three and a third. Learn an octave down, then play an octave up. I mean, you had to do some of that stuff. You know what I'm talking about. But there's this now group of people who are stellar players. They really are fantastic players who didn't have to do that. I think we should end. Yeah. I'm David. I'm Jim. And tonight we've been practical guitars. Yes, we have.